0: I'm Dr. Future, your host.
1: I invite you to join me as together we experience a future
0: quake.
2: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, the most interesting man in the world. Bionic.
1: Boy, that's the truth. It's about time you found I don't always listen to, to podcasts. But when, but I, when do, I do, I choose future questions. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, hopefully all of y'all are going to be choosing it uh, this week because we've got a guest that I've been wanting on our show for a long time. This is a gentleman who puts his money where his mouth is in terms of ministering to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Been out overseas in the most challenging environments, uh, making disciples, building churches, uh, loving people. Mm-hmm. talking about Jesus with them. And um has come away with a very different view than what the average Christian in America has because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Martin Brooks. He is the Midwest Regional Director now of Peace Catalyst International. And mm-hmm. our theme of our show is an American Evangelical Reality Check. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this. We're only able to scratch the surface even in our extended visit with so many subjects related to... What he's been involved with, what he's learned, um, it really is in line with what we have suspected for years on Future Quake, except somebody has been out in the lab mm-hmm. of the world putting it in practice. And I think you're going to enjoy this, so with no further ado, here's Mr. Martin Brooks, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom, no middle name this week, Bionic.
1: Well, you just left millions of people in disappointment know, this week, Tom Bionic.
2: There's there's two people slapping their heads.
1: No, there's more than that. Um, well, while they ponder that, we have something more important to share with them this week. Uh, we have a guest with us this week that I have wanted on Future Quake for a very very long time. Uh, someone who's been very inspirational to me and influential. Um, in his writings, but even more so his work And we were finally able to work it out to have him with us And I know our Futurian listeners are going to be really blessed in a special way to hear from him This week we have Martin Brooks, who is the Midwest Regional Director of a group called Peace Catalyst International And our theme this week uh, is called An American Evangelical Reality Check and, uh, I know for many of our futurists, they say, well, when we, is there a week that that's not the theme? But, uh, but we're going to get to the heart of the matter from someone who right. is far more knowledgeable than either Tom or I, uh, and are, aren't just sitting in the peanut gallery, but has actually been mixing it up Robert in the Hine. world, uh, <laughs> even more than Robert Hyde, uh, who's uh, actually been out there in the field. And so having said that, uh, Mr. Brooks, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Future Quake. For uh, for this show, which again I've been waiting for for such a long time.
0: Well, uh, uh, Doctor Future, it's a great privilege to to be with you, and and I finally get to be like on the air with Tom Bionic. I just mm-hmm. I'm I'm all shivering here, just uh, in great expectation.
2: Well, clearly he's lost his mind. <laughs> I,
1: I I know you know while you've been in foreign capitals around the world, probably uh, people with you know fezes or different kind of gear have debated about Tom Bionic and what he's really like. Uh, you know what are his attributes and things like that, so now we can confirm it all, and I know it 's got to be a real treat for you. You know we have a phrase here uh it's uh, Tom Bionic said it, I believe it, and that settles it so i hope not. uh that's that's it for here, but let 's get our discussion. You know I would have never seen foreseen a night like this uh i'm guessing it's probably been around thirty five years or so um, when i guess I f first got to know you um and it wow. wasn't in a very in, in, intentional manner at the time. It turned out we shared a school bus in that's high school, I believe. That's true. Uh, and if you're probably like me, when we were riding that bus down to Portland Christian High School, you probably didn't envision that we would be having a night like this, this many years later.
0: No, and I, you know, I just want to apologize for those years of my life. Um, it's, uh, just, just glad it, it's a, it's an act of God's mercy that, uh, that we're here. You, yeah. you, you included, Dr. Future.
1: Hmm. Amen. Amen. And, uh, God's providence and protection. But, um, I, I'll, I'll say this and put it on the record. Uh, I don't know of anybody who I knew in my circle from those days, school or otherwise, that, uh, although I would have never foreseen this in you and my little exposure to you at the time on the school bus and at school, what anybody that I know of that in the intervening years has made more use out of their life and done something more meaningful eternally than what you've done in those intervening years. And that's one reason why I was so excited to be able to finally get you on the show, because of all the super successful people we've had on our show, from Judge Andrew DePolitano to Jesse Ventura and a long list of very famous people, I cannot think of one individual who is actually more successful in the things that really matter in life than what I have known and witnessed in your life. And I'm hoping a little bit of that's going to rub off on us and our listeners yeah. here tonight. Um, wow.
0: That's, a, that's very humbling. Thank, thank
1: you. Well, it's also a testimony to what God can do through any of us if we let him. And what you're going to share with us, our listeners are going to realize that the Lord can do anything, the most amazing things with us, if we only make ourselves available to him. And it really is a testimony of your life. Um, to start our discussions tonight, uh, could you please tell us just a little bit about your upbringing, uh, some of the early activities in your life that really led to your international experiences, which are going to be the main subject of our talk tonight, and, and even a little bit about your spiritual journey?
3: Um,
0: I've I've recently come to the conclusion that I was raised in a very privileged uh, environment. You know, growing up, I I wouldn't have said that. Um, You know, I would have thought of myself as middle class, uh, like everybody else seems to be. Um, And I guess, in in a way, I... We we talk about, like, class warfare and and that sort of thing. I was just oblivious to it. You know, I I would look at people who... um, Needed something, and I'd think, well, you know, why, why don't you get a job? You know, or or uh, mm-hmm. you know, you you've made decisions that that have put you in that place, and uh really didn't have much compassion. And it took the Lord a long time to to make me realize that you know, when the Bible talks about the the rich man, the rich man and Lazarus, you know, I I am the rich man. I'm I'm the one who's going to have a hard time getting into heaven because I'm depending on things that that are not of God, um, so you know I, I grew up going to church. My parents took me to church. Um, I don't know was it uh, a legalistic environment? You know there there were components of that, um, but then I went to college. Uh, actually went to college in Nashville, and when um, there I, I was looking for someone or a group of people who were taking their faith seriously, and, and got involved with a group that was interested in missions. And um, they were making decisions for their life based on what they thought God wanted them to do. And as I looked around the university, many were making decisions based on what would make the most money for themselves. And you know, I, I recognized the contrast there. Um, so, so I had this interest in... International work and in making a difference for uh, God um, and an interest in um, living intentionally, uh, not wasting what what I did have um, but it was it was a long journey, even living overseas. God had to take me overseas and expose me to some of the poorest people in the world. Uh, to, to really kind of shake up my my world paradigm.
1: Mm-hmm. When you were graduating from high school, what were the kind of things you pictured yourself doing with your life?
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I guess I at one point wanted to be a, a youth minister. I, you know, you look up at your church youth minister. Um. And then I thought I wanted to be uh. An accountant. Um. I thought I wanted to be uh, a counselor. Um, changed my major, you know, three or four times in in university. Um, got married right out of high school. Uh, I kind of wised up, you know, my senior year of of high school. Uh, my my friends were kind of focused on on different things, and and I looked around at at the girls and. Decided I wanted somebody who really loved God and uh, made made a wise decision uh, early on, and that, that's made a huge difference uh, mm. in my in my life. Huh. Wow, Well
1: cool. wow, that's uh, um, you know, there's so many things like that that I didn't know and wasn't aware of. You know, you described your up your upbringing, and uh, like me, you're a product of a Christian school, and uh, one that I'm very thankful for, very grateful. Uh, I wouldn't have known Robert Hyde, for example, one of the regulars on our show, had it not been for that and really altered my life, and mm-hmm. many others. But the worldview that I assume you were raised up like me was a pretty cut-and-dried worldview, wasn't it? I mean, pretty clear on what was good, what was bad, who were the yeah, good people, was, who were the bad people, that kind of thing.
0: Right. There was there was right and wrong and um, an interpretation of uh, the Bible that... Um, you know you, you didn't vary very far from the the denominational line um there were people that were if people would challenge it they were written off as heretics um mm-hmm. there was the what I realize now is a, sort of a definition of uh the the evil other um people would hang labels on groups of people you know they would call them. Um, I don't know, liberal or uh, the mm-hmm. feminist agenda, or um, I I don't know. You know, there's all types of labels that we use mm-hmm. to dismiss mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. So unpatriotic. Unpatriotic. Um, yeah. Um, Ron Paul supporter. Yeah, <laughs> <seen> that <laughs> that's around. a little early yeah. for yeah.
1: those days. That's uh, a well, later phenomenon.
0: But you know, you realize when we when we put a label on somebody. Uh, it's just a, another it's a shorthand it's a way so that we don't have to deal with what they're telling us if mm-hmm. we can label them we can dismiss them and then I don't have to deal mm-hmm. with the individual standing in front of me mm-hmm. and and their grievances or, or their views of, of life I just hang a label on them and say well you're part of that group so I don't have to listen to you
1: yeah it's a very effective and efficient means if you don't want to be like Jesus um, you clearly go down that path uh, when you do that. You know, it, it must be a major milestone. I know we have some missionaries that listen to our show. We have a lot of international listeners. We have some that are missionaries in Japan, uh, some in Peru, some in a bunch of places around the world, um, and, and even some that are furloughed back here right now. But there's a major threshold that I presume you cross when, when you make the plunge to really immerse yourself in a different culture. Was there something critical beyond what you already shared with us that happened in your mind and in your spouses that said, we're going to choose a direction in life that is going to get us out of our comfort zone and really, really commit to go beyond just full-time Christian service to really going where you ended up in some pretty austere conditions?
0: Um, just looking at the at the gifts and the abilities that, that God had given us and and realizing that yes, I am willing to go. Uh, I remember at one point thinking, well, I could either work for a church here, and if I were to apply for uh, a church, you know, there there might be fifty to you know two hundred and fifty resumes show up for that.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: if you but if you ask the people, do you want to go to the third poorest country in the world, and um, you know where there's Landmines and malaria and corrupt officials uh to deal with, and and do you want to raise your kids there? There there weren't a lot of people stepping up to do that. So um, I don't know. It was uh, you look at your abilities and say I I think I can do that with God's mm-hmm. help. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, again, wanting to live intentionally and mm-hmm. do the most with what. Um, God's blessed me with. So, mm-hmm. so the the question is, how can I bring the most glory to God with what He has given me? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess that led us overseas because there's a whole bunch of people here trying to represent Christ, and in many parts of the world they're they're not.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, was that first place you went? Was that in the continent of Africa?
0: It was. It was. Uh, was in Mozambique. Um, at that time, they said it was the third poorest country in the world. They had uh, emerged from a civil war. Uh, you know, some interesting history there that the it's one of the, one of the proxy wars of, of communism. Um, and uh, they, they had, again, emerged, emerged from war um, about three years before we arrived. Uh, So the country was in a building, a building stage, and we went to do a pastoral training, to start a pastoral training school there.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, How many years uh, were you in Africa?
0: Uh, We were just there for for three years uh, in Mozambique. Uh, then we did six months in, in Portugal for language study. Went back to Africa in 2005 to uh, Ghana for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess total uh, three and a half or four years as far as living there, being a resident there.
1: Okay. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about you, – you mentioned about a school, a pastoral school. Tell us a little bit of what were the kind of – Activities you did while you were there and just share with us some of the compelling stories. I know I've read so many of them just when I would get your regular newsletters, but can you tell us a few things that have stuck with you that might really move our audience from your experience?
0: Um, the, the poverty, you know, you, you can't walk out your door and not be confronted with it. You, you drive down the streets and the kids are, are begging and, um, I just wasn't confronted with that, having been raised again in this privileged, uh, lifestyle here. You know, it, you used to have to stay up till one in the morning and watch some Feed the Children program to, to see, right. uh, you know, the desperate situations. But, but living there, we, we were confronted with it all the time. Hmm. Um, so it, it made me question. Uh, what I was doing and uh, the the value of it. I, I remember in, in being told one time, well, if we can feed them, but if they go to hell, what good is it uh, if you if you feed them? And, and there was a sort of prioritizing um, the the message of the kingdom, mm-hmm. where uh, it was really Dallas Willard talks about a gospel of sin management. And I realized that I had so bought into that where the primary goal was to, get, to some, get someone to make a decision for Jesus and then I could move on to the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, of discipleship or, or living uh, for Jesus and the idea of the kingdom being present now uh and, and what our role might be in that was was foreign to me. It it's taken many years to kind of think through that and, and I'm not finished thinking through it. But I mm-hmm. but I know it's a whole lot more than just getting your ticket punched so you can get into heaven someday.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. And, and in other words, uh you didn't think it was appropriate to withhold food until they got through the Four Spiritual Laws booklet.
0: Yeah, and, and then raised their hand, made some type of commitment, stepped across some line that I drew in the sand. Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's just interesting how people draw the the lines in different places i I think you've had carl medeiros on on your Mm -hmm. show yeah right he he um i've learned a lot from from some of his writings but but in his recent book um what's it called speaking of jesus uh he has a chapter in there about being jesus centric um instead of having a a bounded set a, a line that people step across and okay now they're saved now they're in now they're in part they're a part of my group the question that that he suggests that we ask and then has been has worked for me is when you look at at yourself or you look at someone else the question is are they moving to Jesus or away from Jesus and where that line is of Salvation. I mean, certainly there's fruit that we look for and indications that we look for, but ultimately it's Jesus who gets to decide. So my goal is to keep lifting up Jesus and have people fall in love with him, brag on him. Um, and he said that if he was lifted up, that he would draw people to him. So it took a, a ton of pressure off of me. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: It wasn't anymore about trying to make People say something that I was looking for. It was just, hey, let's find out what Jesus did and, and do the same thing.
1: Well, l- let me ask you something on that, because that is a little bit of a departure from a traditional evangelical approach. A- and, and some of their concerns are reasonable and valid in that uh, we do believe that, that one eventually needs to be aware of, of their ne- their need for substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, that's the core of Christianity, you know, the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not something that people t- tend to learn overnight. Uh, right. and there are some cases of that, miraculous things where that does happen, but many times it's after one really gets a full depth and understanding of what Jesus was all about and studies the Word. Did you find in the people that you reached out to in the manner you described, where you basically got them sold on Jesus? and pursuing him that in time their lives their minds exhibited the understanding of their need for a personal savior their need for to take on the righteousness of jesus as atonement for them did they work out those kind of things like that after they began pursuing jesus
0: you know i i I think about where you and i were in high school and where i am now and 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 you too um and, and it's been a journey. You know, there's, there's a, uh, the, the spirit, it's like, he knows what we need, when we need it, and he's patient and he's conforming us to the image of Christ. There are things in my, that were in my life that he said, you know, that, that really needs to go. That's, that's hindering, uh, what I want to do with you. And there were things that needed to be added to my life. And as I as I live in the Word and try to sense the promptings of, of the Spirit, um, we're being transformed daily in, into the image of Christ. So it's less of a, let's make a decision, let's step across a line and, and be done with it, than it is a, a process. And I'm happy for the process to happen. Uh, do the people? So you know, your question is: Do the people uh, recognize Jesus for who He is, for the, the total value of, of who He is? And, and I guess my response is: I'm still learning who He is. I'm still adjusting my life to, to who He is. So what that does is it allows me to be really patient with people because God's still working on them, just like He's working on me.
3: Mm-hmm. Mhm-, mhm,
1: but i I guess I just want to make sure and make it clear that uh-huh. for our listeners you're you're not just talking about a head knowledge, but you're talking about something that's truly a supernatural transformational work into the family of god
0: yeah uh it's just Jesus gets to decide who's in and who's out
3: <laughs> yeah. you know
0: in instead of me mm-hmm. and and my job is to have them fall in love with jesus and and brag on him and have them. Where, where I want to get people is to the point where they so admire Jesus so believe that he is from god and 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 the perfect example sent from God for us that they want to pattern their life and change the way they uh, behave and live based on what they are seeing in Jesus not based on a list of rules that I've come up with over you know fifty years of making rules for myself. Mhm.
1: Mhm. Well, back back to your experience in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, are there some particular incidents that you had ministering to people there whether whether it was uh, fellow believers or, or or others that that have stuck with you that were particularly inspirational of your experiences there? Mm,
0: inspirational. Um, there there are a lot of funny things that that happened you know we were doing a, a revival in a large tent one night and a guy showed up waving a machete and i'm trying to figure out if i can get through the tent wall behind me um and, you know he's talking he was drunk and he's talking in a language one of the local there are 34 different languages in mozambique and uh he was talking in one of the local dialects that i didn't understand he just apparently was upset and um so, you know, there, there are all these stretching experiences. We went into a garage once looking for a, a place to do training and found a stash of weapons. Uh, Landmines had been stockpiled in this garage. And uh, so we stopped by the UN demining mining office, and they didn't seem too concerned about it. Uh, they said, next time you're in the area, tell the local police. Um, the uh the, the, again, the, I think the poverty is what stuck with me the the most, and mm-hmm. and just how and how to respond to it. Um,
1: well, how, how is a way to respond to it?
3: Hmm.
0: Well, I think you try to to alleviate it, uh, and and then so that raises a lot of questions. Do you just Dump money on a place, or do you teach them skills? Do you um, bring short-term workers from the states to, you know, show them something? Um, The, you know, I'm I'm growing to a point where I I believe that there's a, a great disparity between the the rich and the poor. And growing up in this middle-class family, I didn't see it. Um, But traveling around the world, much of the world looks at the U.S. as um, using more than their share, uh, Mm -hmm. leveraging their political and economic power to ensure that they stay in uh, power. Um, and there's a, a resentment that um, maybe from a, you know, a U.S. citizen uh, perspective, I could say, well, that's good for our country. But when you look at it from Jesus' perspective, he seemed to have a real heart for the poor and, uh, and moved to help uh, whenever he could.
1: Okay, so so your view of of real poverty, third world poverty, it had a spiritual impact on you, at this point. The, yeah. The, 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 okay, I'm sorry.
3: Well,
0: I, I was just going to say, you know, and you, you look at, I mean, I'm rethinking the the kingdom of God and and what it means. You know, Jesus, right after he went through the the temptations, he shows up in his hometown. And he says, you know, the spirit of the Lord's on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. I don't know how I used to interpret that, (laughs) um, but it doesn't say anything about protecting my economic interest. You know, we ask, what would Jesus do this when he started in his ministry, he says, "This this is what I'm about. I'm about doing these things: freeing the oppressed, helping the poor, bringing good news to the poor." And then he, you know, he rolls up the scripture and he says, "Today this is fulfilled in your hearing." You know, and then he spends the rest of the gospels showing us how to do that as our perfect example. He spends the gospel showing us how to live uh, in this kingdom, and he says, "You know, the kingdom starts small." Uh, you know, the mustard seed, the, uh, the leaven, but it's gonna grow into something substantial. And I think I grew up in a, in a heritage that emphasized heaven so much and a sort of a personal righteousness that these, these bringing freedom to people, bring, relieving oppression, uh, wasn't a part of my gospel message and i i really think it should
3: be
1: mhm well and i'm i'm assuming that people who espouse those kind of things back in the old culture that you were raised in would have been dealt with with great suspicion maybe feared to some extent you know, oh, well, and well, we they might them, be, be commies.
0: yeah uh we we called them liberals uh yeah. you know it was the social gospel mm-hmm. and and um and I don't know how we got away with it for so long, just ignoring so much of what Jesus did and um, just focusing on, on heaven. You know, we talk about friendship evangelism, um, but really it's it's more like project evangelism. You know, I'm going to saddle up next to you and be your friend for a while and try to convince you to see things like I see them. And if you don't uh, buy into my thinking pretty quickly, I'm going to move on to the next friend um, mm-hmm. And they, you know, that's, that's really not being a friend The problem with friendship mm-hmm. evangelism is it's missing friendship
1: Is that sort of like main, like multi-level marketing Where you have to get people into your downstream And, like, and if with you, Christianity if, if, well, They're right. not buying into what's on the easel You you take the easel to the next person like that or something uh, Yeah It almost sounds reminiscent of that um, I, I want to move on to your next big sphere Where you spent the majority of your time But um, was there anything that you learned spiritually from Christians that were that live in those environments or uh, or something else really you know supernatural in a in a spiritual realm that you observed during your era of time there?
0: yeah, I remember uh you know I grew up in a in a fellowship that uh kind of didn't really teach or or embrace the idea of the demonic um mm-hmm. and I remember, uh, being in in a village once and, uh, praying for a, for a little old lady that, I mean, she looked like she was 150, she's probably, you know, 70 or 80, but really frail little woman, and all of a sudden she started growling at me, and, um, and I, I distinctly remember thinking they did not teach me in university how to deal with this. Uh-huh. Um, so, so there's there's an awareness that there's there's a spiritual dimension that reveals itself in different ways in different places. Um, and, and in in Mozambique anyway, they they believed in uh, animism. Uh, they believed in spirit uh you know having to be appeased uh they weren't surprised when someone was uh possessed in in some way and here in the states it i think maybe it it manifests itself in different ways more logical ways to our mind mm-hmm. um well i've heard that from many
1: missionaries that when you get out on the forward edge of the spreading of the gospel that you see much more manifestations of demonic resistance and things like this uh from missionaries in Brazil and different places like that you think that's generally the case when you get out in in these kind of areas you do exhibit more of that
0: you know I don't know if there's more of it there uh or or if it's here all the time, and we're just calling it something different. Yeah, or we've grown uh,
1: accustomed to it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe most yeah. of it comes from Wall Street or something, you know. Yeah. It just takes and, on a different name and face.
0: Yeah, you know, some if somebody's bound, you can be bound to a lot of different things. And I don't think Satan really cares what you're bound to as long as it's not Jesus. Right,
1: right. Well, you were eventually called, and, and, and by the way, correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, sort of alluding to your African experience. You, you spent a lot of time on things like motorcycles and simple transportation, going from one little, really small fellowship, whether it's a, a really, you know, rudimentary building or whatever, to the next. What we picture is sort of classic missionary activity. That really was your life for a while, was it not?
0: uh yeah somebody came to our house once and says it looks like you live in a bath house at a camp and you know it was yes. a concrete block house with corrugated yeah. roofing yeah. and um we would go to we would go to villages and stay in uh grass huts or mud huts i stayed in one hut one night that had a dung floor that was kind of interesting um so yeah it, it was pretty classic mm-hmm. uh missionary stuff and
1: yeah. We, we we're familiar with that here at the Future Quake headquarters. We have a dung floor in several ours that they yeah. asked it to, for us to take it out of the cafeteria. Well it, it's it's we, okay. We different um, motif.
0: It's okay unless it gets wet, you know. This uh It dries know, just, pretty hard.
2: I've I've yeah. seen people actually make like like furnaces and stuff out of it. Yeah. All
3: right.
0: Yeah, this uh this actually looked like it had been waxed, uh, but oh. I don't think you I don't think you want it wet. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah
1: well uh now was it during this phase of your activity that you began having a little bit more responsibility to like bring in other people from overseas to have that or was that later when you left africa where you were actually responsible over deploying other people to oh, do that, you know larger scale things
0: yeah that that was later okay. um and we had a we had a coworker that was killed one night um by robbers Um, and then three hurricanes hit the coast in three successive weeks and and destroyed the infrastructure of the country. Um, So our students in our resident uh, pastoral program had to return home to kind of put their lives back together, and our work shifted to uh, relief and development work. So we were helping um, groups like... uh, World Relief and Samaritan's Purse, uh, get acclimated in Mozambique because the, mm-hmm. some of them hadn't had work there, uh, mm-hmm. before. World Relief actually did have, but okay. some of the groups came in and we were helping them get set up.
1: Okay. Um, how did you feel called to reside and be active in predominantly Muslim lands? What, what triggered that? Mm.
0: Um, well, we came back after our coworker was killed and uh we came back and actually pastored a church for for a little while. Um,
1: now, and, now let me ask you this. Was this a fairly conservative denomination that you it, were involved in?
0: It it was. Okay. Um And yet I'm I'm having all these questions in in my mind, you know, and you're you're looking at the people in the church and you're thinking what steps of faith do they need to take and how can i help them get there how can i challenge some of the of the thinking um i i don't know some in some ways it kind of feels like a big chess game you know you're trying to figure out okay well what's their next move and how can i persuade them to go a direction i think is better for them and Maybe that's a lack of faith, you know because the, the spirit of God really does work in the hearts of men to draw them to himself, and um all the time wrestling with am I manipulating people or am I uh, just being a faithful witness um, so after this uh time of uh working with the church i I began to to work with a a, a group asked me to help um them organize their works that they had in Africa, but they really didn't have much going on in Africa. So they uh asked me to help with work in Bosnia uh and then uh work in Afghanistan. Um so I, I began to be more and more drawn toward um, well understanding and how do you present the good news to uh, a muslim population
3: mm-hmm.
1: hmm. well to me that seems like that that's a major threshold to cross because of the the stigma that we've had in our country for some time maybe your upbringing actually to a large extent predated that you know cuz a lot of that has grown in the 90s and then of course after 911 things got to be even touchier uh in yeah. that regard Right. But um uh you, you know where I'm talking about. In the American Christian community, there are certain people in missions that are, that are really keen on that. But the, the Christian evangelical community as a whole has seen them more in the terms of enemy than of unreached. And it's a turning point to get a heart for people of Muslim background. Uh-huh. Was there anything that turns your heart to see... The very unique situation they're in, where you know we're having these um, confrontate, at least perceived confrontations between people of the Muslim world overseas and our own country, and all the struggle going on. Was there something a turning point in your heart that you began to see them in a very different way?
0: I I think it was a gradual uh, thing. I I was, and Jesus Jesus said we're to love God and and love others you know, that's that's the most important thing we can do. And I think uh too often we focus on the loving God part and we get pious and um the the loving others, how do we flesh that out kinda gets pushed to the background. Now we like people that are like us, um but but Muslims many times look at the world in, in a different way uh than we do, and uh, at some at some point we begin to um, see them as as people who love their kids, want the best for their kids, or are trying to pay the bills. And if we can actually talk to them, they're not that much different than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can either we can either focus on the similarities or, or the differences,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and when we continually focus on the differences, it's easy to make them the other. Mm-hmm. You know, many many people have have noted that we nations seem to need an enemy to uh, motivate the the people to support policy. Um, right. It was communism, and now the unfortunately the enemy. Uh, are are people that Jesus died for that he loves mm-hmm. um, it, so, it,
1: it seems like to me that um, for all the unreached peoples of the world, and there are so many that we you know e- even your most simple evangelical understanding you have you understand the great commission and that 's why they 're called evangelicals to reach out to these people it 's been a special challenge in the Muslim world because of this um, you know, perceived paranoia, threat, whatever, with that world. Uh But then the people who I know who have felt a call to reach out to the Muslim world, whether it's, uh, you know, any, any kind of way. um, When they do it, they have a really about face in their whole view of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. What they allow themselves doing that. but They start looking at a lot of different things in a different way. The United States, the world, the way the world works. Uh-huh. That, that it's a unique situation when one feels really called and motivated to 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 be Christ to people from that culture mm-hmm. am i right yeah
0: it's true and and some of that comes just from living overseas and you know when when we surround ourselves with people that agree with us um we we tend to think we're right and don't question our uh presuppositions or our mm-hmm. our positions and and um so when you move overseas you you are with people who don't have the same sense of patriotism that uh you know we grew Mm -hmm. up with um we tend to see ourselves as very generous you know supporting the un and uh giving tons of money to uh the the world and and we do give a lot um but a lot of times there's strings attached to it, and uh, uh, proportionally, you know, I don't know how that all all works out. Um, but yeah, just just to hang out with internationals, even if you were to do it here in the states, and you can get beyond the surface level of, uh, you know, what kind of food did you eat in your country. If you can get to some substantive conversations, uh, you can learn a lot about ourselves uh... by interacting with uh... with internationals i'm guessing
1: you would probably recommend for just about everyone who's an american christian if there's some way to do it it would serve them well to spend a little bit of time living overseas in a different culture like that
0: yeah you know i i think about these cross-cultural study programs uh... my my most recent um time living living overseas uh i studied in a muslim university so we were i was studying uh, diplomacy international relations uh in a in a muslim university and um when i first went into the into the class my my classmates were um uh, palestinian and turkish and um uh, there were some from, uh, Bangladesh, Ab- Abidjan, um, many, many parts of the Muslim world were represented in this school that was taught in, in English. And when I first went in, they, they wanted to let me know as the only American in the school that, uh, they weren't real happy with U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were trying to live intentionally, we were trying to bless people, um in Jesus' name. And um and it just wasn't really the time to defend uh American foreign policy and, and as I would be quiet and listen instead of talk, um, I began to realize there was some validity to, to some of the things they were saying. Yeah. And uh then I then I turned back to scripture and ask, well, Jesus, what do you have to say about that? And um it seemed to me I got the same message. There's some validity to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps you need to adjust. I need to adjust my life uh to more accurately reflect the agenda of of Jesus. Hmm.
1: C- can you share with us some of those things, if you can recollect them, that really had some validity points that they made that helped you think in a way that you thought was more valid? Hmm. Um
0: well like Guantanamo Bay uh was one sort of a of an American arrogance of of coming in and and going to uh impose um, democracy or another culture um, the the whole economic disparity Uh, I don't know, many times we heard if, well, everybody had an opinion about what America should do. Um, America should uh, spend less money on on war and and, uh, should invest more in winning the hearts of of people, helping them get education, Um, you know, and, and everybody had an idea, but, but it boiled down to they they looked at america as the world's only superpower uh as being a problem rather than uh, a solution uh they they wanted a voice they wanted to be heard on the world stage and most of them put their hope in the un as a vehicle for that and they would would be frustrated with the uh um the especially the security council and the veto uh power of um of America and and others and when that was used as a um, political tool rather than uh what was really best for for people from from their perspective mm-hmm. uh some some of my best friends were uh were palestinians so they were very uh aware of uh the US stance toward Israel, you know, and, and Israel can can do no wrong. Um and they were talking about the their lives in in uh the Gaza Strip and how they couldn't get out and the walls that are going up and how it would divide a farmer from his uh orchards. Um and a, a real sense of of injustice, and and the U.S. was was blamed for for that, rightly or wrongly, um, and it made it made me wonder, you know, how would Jesus respond to these things? And and I realized that that Jesus lived in a time. where well, most of the Bible was written to people that were uh, oppressed right uh under under siege in some way and we as as the superpower um uh, you know we're we're rome in this story uh yeah. we're we're the ones with the power and um and we try to apply these scriptures to ourselves but if we if we forget that they were written to people who were um under siege I, we, can, we can misapply some of, the, some of the passages.
1: Well, I would give a case in point, Romans 13. Uh, Romans 13 talks about obeying earthly authorities, and I've pointed out that the people, the New Testament Christians, were, were under an occupying force. Uh, just like we occupy um, Afghanistan and Iraq, Rome occupied the lands where they lived, mm-hmm. and their laws applied. And, and I think the point made at the time was, you're not under self rule like we're blessed to have here in the United States, along with the responsibilities that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Caesar's dictates went, um and it was a reminder that if you act like the zealots did, like uh, Barabbas, you're just going to be burning on the end of a pole, and nothing's going to be accomplished. Focus on the kingdom business that I've given to you right now. Uh w- We have a little bit of a different situation under self-rule now, and I, and I, I see it as extra responsibilities that they didn't have. But, again, the fact that we've lost the idea, like you say, that these were people who were under siege or under occupation uh and, and put it in a proper context. And the, the shoe's on the other foot where we are. And um, we forget that the, the Lord, his heart is always with the poor mm-hmm. and with those whose voice is not being represented or heard. And I remember one of our guests, Robert Hyde, has mentioned on our show many years ago about when we get in a big hurry to start dropping bombs on villages here in preemptive wars, is that those people are going to be crying out to God uh for protection and also for vengeance. Mm. And God is going to hear their prayers mm. when they're said. And that's a sobering thought for those of us, particularly when we're the ones flying the bombers, uh, when it's our time, whatever the reason uh, being at that time. Were, were, were there some things in your experience, and, and, and by the way, how many years... Uh, have you resided in what would be considered predominantly Muslim lands?
0: Um. Well, I've I've worked in Muslim lands for uh, well since let's see, ninety three. Wow. I guess uh you know traveling in and out and that sort of thing. hmm Um. But we we just lived. In Muslim lands for, well, two, two and a half years.
1: Okay.
0: Alright. Uh, I like to think of myself as a, as a quick study, though. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're just learning, uh, a ton. And I think, you know, when you come back to the States and you see Christians, um, being an obstacle, to Muslims coming to jesus uh, you, you just want to uh, address that I, I was reading in Luke three uh, this morning about you know John the Baptist you know came to to fill in the valleys and make low the mountains you know so that people would would come to the Lord and um, in a way when we when we work with Muslims where we spend a lot of time removing the things, removing the obstacles that uh have been put in place, and many times there are misunderstandings. But we have to be uh, alongside of these people to uh, to understand uh, and, and to explain those things. If, if we're going to be a witness to Jesus, we have to be in in relationship um, mm-hmm. with them. And it just okay. doesn't work to uh, uh, yell at them across the room or you know through mm-hmm. uh, you know drop. Tracks on them and, and say nasty things about them it just doesn't work very well.
1: Well, if all else fails, just o- obey the golden rule, and and treat someone the way you would want to be treated if the roles were reversed. Right. That, that, that solves a whole multitude of issues like this when it comes. In, in your experience dealing, having personal relationships, living amongst uh, fellow Muslims and Muslim lands uh, alongside, were there some particular incidents that happened? That you found really inspirational or insightful to you um, From individuals that you had contact with The ways that they interacted with you Or, or things that happened That you felt like God really showed you something
0: Yeah uh, And, and the, I think that would be the power of the spirit The power of the word of God um, it, it really does transform lives Now um, most Muslims have been taught that the Christians and the Jews have, have corrupted the the Bible and it can 't be trusted. When you go into the mosque they 're only preaching out of the Quran um, so but but the Quran it, if you if you read it, it references Bible stories and and doesn 't tell you the story. It assumes that Muslims have a working knowledge of, of the Bible that went before it. It, mm-hmm. it sees itself as a continuation of the story. So in relationship with uh, my Muslim friends, I could point things like that out and, um, and ask if they, if they had read the, the Bible. I, I did this just last week with somebody here. You know, he said he, he would believe the Bible, except that it had been written by so many people. And, um, and people tend to, you know, twist stories and that sort of thing. I say, well, yeah, but the, the Quran, um, affirms the Bible. So, uh, and assumes that you've read it. And if you haven't, then you're not even, you're not going to understand where, where you've come from. And, um, and the centrality of, of Jesus mm-hmm. to, uh, to restoring uh, broken relationships between man and God and between men and men, you know, between Christians and Muslims, we we make up two thirds of the world's population. We as believers serve the Prince of Peace. Um, James says that if we sow in righteousness, or if we sow in peace, we will raise a harvest of righteousness. And and we're not sowing in in peace, we're we're sowing in in distrust, in um, uh-huh. animosity, um, and and we have we have to get to the peace part. Um, we have to get to a relationship where we respect each other, and um, I think see ourselves as as pursuing the kingdom of God um, to, together. And and Jesus is the key to that. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh.
1: But, yeah is it is it correct um you're much more authority on this than I would be my understanding um is that the the Quran encourages people to read the Injil or the the New Testament
0: yeah not not just the Injil uh but also the uh the Torah and the Zabur mm-hmm. which is uh the Psalms mm-hmm. uh it it affirms it affirms the Bible and uh what the standard Muslim line is that uh, the Christians and the um, Jews corrupted the Bible and, and they point to a, a passage in the Quran that says beware of the Jews it, it actually doesn't say Christians in, in this passage but it says beware of the Jews because they twist the words of that God had sent before but to say someone twists the words and say that the documents been corrupted are uh, are two entirely different things um if we were to accept um that uh god revealed uh, as the muslims do i mean the muslims believe that that god revealed the quran to them and he said uh to trust the bible uh now if if the christians had messed up the bible or the jews had messed up the bible don't you think god would have said now, they messed it up. They twisted it around here. Let me, let me tell you how it really was. But that's not the way the Quran reads. The Quran affirms the Bible and then goes on and, and tries to explain some things to the Arab uh, mm-hmm. people. Um, well,
1: I certainly so, understand the issue about um, their concerns about the translation issues. But I don't see how how they could comply with with the, the dictates of the Quran to read the Injil. Um, if they don't have some version of it by which to comply with it. In other words, even if they have concern about the translations or things like that, the command still exists there. And I see that as an opportunity in an atmosphere of mutual respect for a Christian and a Muslim to sit down together and read and listen for God's voice to speak to them
0: right if if we trust that the uh, Word of God is is powerful and active you know sharper than a double-edged sword and that the spirit of God's working through that to draw people to him uh, if we can get our Muslim friends to to read the Bible uh, the spirit of God's going to do a, a work a transforming work that uh, will will draw them to himself now of course there are people who are just antagonistic and and want to argue both Christians and Muslims and you don't get very far with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go to Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, you know, when when you go, um, you know, don't take your your purse or your you know, your tunic and all all that sort of thing. And when you enter a town, you know, first look for uh A house of peace you know find find the man of peace is a a phrase that that some people use and establish a peaceful relationship and then talk about the kingdom of God kingdom of God is near it's it's coming and it's better news than just we get to go to heaven when we die it's it's justice Uh, Uh it's it's liberty it's it's um, good news for the poor Um, not just pie in the sky someday. The good news is, is better than than I had ever been led to believe, because it starts now.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you know the 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 apostles were also sent out with a message concerning the forgiveness of sins, and that part of the good news was that your sins could be forgiven. Absolutely. Is that a okay. message that resonates in a Muslim mind?
0: Uh, I think justice resonates more uh in their mind mm-hmm. because they they feel so mistreated uh mm-hmm. so um, covering shame is is an issue um with with Muslims and you know it's it's really not fair to talk about Muslims in a Mon- in a broad way. sense yeah exactly yeah, right you know right. you've got one point five one point eight billion muslims and um they're just they're just not all the same right
1: right um well while we're on this topic um i think this is a big one that you can really help us a lot amongst all the things you can share with us is it can you spend just a little bit of time debunking uh many misunderstandings that you commonly hear that christians think about the averaging practicing muslim uh, not only in what they believe, but even just how they deal with other people, how they deal with you as a Christian. Uh, share with us some things that uh, what you experienced was different than what you might hear in a common evangelical church here.
0: Hmm. Um, I remember doing a a presentation in in one of my graduate classes in in this Muslim university. Um. And, and talking about how the the Bible and the Quran in its original language is very similar, uh, or, or has a has a similar message. I mean, many many parallels. Certainly, there are differences, but uh, but many parallels. And when we have translations, it um, there's a bit of bias that gets. You know, why is it that when we go to the Christian bookstore, we see so many um bible translations uh mm-hmm. why do different denominations have a preferred uh translation well because the way the translators uh the words they chose kind of line up with uh mm-hmm. the desired ends and the same is true with the the different translations of of the the Quran um and then we have commentaries that tell us what we're supposed to think about the bible and they have their commentaries and, and the hadith, the traditions of Muhammad and, and his friends. Um and then you have the preacher looking at the commentaries and looking at his translation. You may or may not know the original language. Uh and you have the Imams looking at their uh traditions and hadith and um and you know, they may or may not know what the original language of of the Quran is actually saying. Um, And then you have the the guy in the pew and the guy in the mosque hearing what the mom and the preacher tell them. But by the time they get the information, it's gone through so many filters that um, the guy in the pew and, and the guy in the mosque is really at a disadvantage. Uh, because he's hearing the moms and the preachers' interpretation of truth. So by the time the average Christian meets the average Muslim, there's been so much distortion uh, and misrepresentation of, particularly the other side, uh, that it—that's no wonder that we have this huge divide and mm-hmm. suspicion uh, between Muslims and, and Christians. And yet I found that if I am sitting in the home of a Muslim person, they're going to be incredibly gracious, uh, giving, Um, you know, I'm not fearful, uh, sitting in, in their home. Uh, we talk about our kids, we talk about education, we talk about many of the same things we would talk about with our American friends. And you come to see in relationship, you come to see uh, Muslims not as the evil other, but as people uh, with real concerns. And I remember making a presentation, something to that effect, in this class and, and turning to my friends from the Gaza Strip and and saying to them, you know, when I hear about um, a bomb going off in Gaza, it's no longer, oh, there they go again. It's, you know, I wonder if the law's family is okay because I mm-hmm. know the people there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we, we have to get beyond these stereotypes and get to know people. Um, and You know, the labels that we use are, are just destructive. They, they keep us from, um, they allow us to, to lump everybody into a, a group and then dismiss them as as a group, when in truth, we're all uh, much more complex than mm-hmm. than that
1: well, we're very complex, within we have so much in common once you strip away the difference in the in the languages that we use the the terminology, the things we've inherited from our individual cultures, and get down to the root thing. We all basically want to be secure, we want our children to be safe, mm-hmm. we want them to have a better life. Right. Uh, those are pretty universal kind of things. We have all these cultural baggage that we all bring in into these relationships. And once you can strip through all that, you find those commonalities are there. You know, I sense from our whole struggle in this, in the evangelical, even been stateside here during this period of time, in watching the evangelical response to all this, it's really struck me that it just seems to me what we're lacking here is a is really a large dose of empathy, good Christian empathy, to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else raised in an environment that they were raised in, subject to the same external forces they are, in the same kind of peril that they're in, and being able to empathize. W- would you agree that that's part oh, of the problem?
0: Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. Um, you know, how how would... You feel if you were not approaching this from a, a privileged, powerful uh, position. I was reading. I was reading recently. It's really convicting to me something that uh, Martin Luther King wrote. Now, I grew up thinking that uh, the the civil rights. This is going to make me sound really terrible, but uh, that you know the civil rights was kind of overblown. That if the the people would get out and work. They had opportunities and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, Martin Luther King said said back you know 40 or 50 years ago that there, the the economic divide between the rich and the poor was was getting so great that he foresaw it uh, leading to the civil unrest and, and maybe even uh, you know revolutionary uh, war. At, at, I think he said that i don't I don't mm-hmm. want to put words first yeah. in his mouth, but you know he saw that forty or fifty years ago, but because I'm approaching this divide from the position of the privileged um it it wasn't it wasn't a problem for me i I didn't see it, and we're running into the same thing with uh America has been the privileged of the world and and much of the world is saying there's a problem here and America's saying I don't see it um, but others others do and if we can put ourselves in the position of not being the privileged um, yeah that's that's mm-hmm. that's when the empathy mm-hmm. comes but
1: but are uh, we ex- are we exceptional martin i, I hear a no. lot about american exceptionalism even in the church, and giving spiritual sanction to it, would, would the principle of American exceptionalism say that we have some kind of right for that difference, and to expect to impose our our desires, our interests on other people?
3: Um,
0: no. Um, no. I'm not. I'm
1: not asking. That. I'm not asking you, you to know, endorse yeah. it. I'm just saying. Yeah. But but doesn't doesn't that principle Really, isn't that some kind of attempt to justify that? What you're saying is a reality. And, and, and what I understand is is the principle of American exceptionalism tries to give some kind of justification for that, for us to impose our interest and in whoever else in the world pays the price for our interest, that, that because of some presumed special spiritual status we have,
0: uh, that we thereby claim a right to be able to do that. I listened to a a lecture a a few months back about the church's response to slavery in our country. And uh, there were church groups who were rationalizing slavery because uh, we were able to bring the heathen African nations to a Christian nation and get them uh, saved. Well, plus we got them dressed better,
1: too. We got them in a shirt and tie and out of that grass skirt. Yeah. You know, that's some of the blessings we provided, too.
3: I like Uh, the grass skirt myself. Taught them
1: capitalism.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, We we use Scripture for our own ends frequently. Um, I mean, we see the politicians do it it all the time. Um, And it's distressing to me. To see how nationalism and this, which is another way of saying American exceptionalism, is is coming into the church, and the church is losing its prophetic voice. You know what what is what is the believer's role in government? Um, I I believe in separation of of church and state. I don't Mm -hmm. think I don't think uh, the Church, you know, twenty percent of evangelicals should tell the eighty uh, percent how to live and and um and even and the
1: twenty percent can't agree amongst themselves anyway.
0: That's 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 very true. Um, but it's but it's not only I mean unfair to the eighty mm-hmm. percent. It's destructive to the church. We we are looking to the government to make laws to enforce the way we interpret scripture on other people instead of doing the hard work of persuading people that the kingdom of God really does bring blessing and he really does want good things for us. And we really are better off if we will do things God's way to make a law short circuits all of, of that dialogue and just breeds uh, discontent. You, know, well, you what, know,
1: and I thought the whole thing of the New Covenant was we had seen the limitation of the law. You know, laws are good, but laws don't make people right with God. Whether it's a Mosaic law or whether it's any other kind of law, because all law does is make people behave when their window shades are up. But once once they're drawn... The law can no longer enforce, but God still sees what goes on in the hearts of, of men and women.
0: Yeah, It's, so. a, it's very true. You know, there's, there's a lot of debate about Sharia law you know, and, and a fear that uh, you know, 2% of the U.S. population is going to impose Sharia law on the rest of the country, which seems pretty unrealistic to my way of thinking. But Sharia law is not the answer for Muslims either you know mm-hmm. the 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 right. separation the separation of uh powers is a good thing if a king has all of the power uh and and is not listening to the the church listening to to god he historically has abused that power but likewise when the religious people um if a, if a king claims a divine mandate for his laws, um, that that leads to the to problems too. I mean, how how do you challenge somebody who says they're they're acting for God, other than saying, you know, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, um,
1: what what they've done is is they've chosen a profane tool to do sacred work, and it would be like taking our garbage man outside here and. Putting him the responsibility of evangelizing the world. Um, and I don't mean that to mean garbage men. I'm oh, just there, there's them. some good that's, garbage men out there. That's right. There's, I'm just picking, picking on them as an example. They have a set task, well defined task, and really what matters is that they do that job well. They like keep our streets clean and that it's an important role that they do. Politicians have the same way to keep us from killing each other, to make sure that, uh, contracts are enforced, that our rights are protected in courts and things. And the rest of it falls on our shoulders. Uh, where, where we don't need coercion, we need the persuasive, uh, words of Christ, uh, non-coercively to do it. Now I know I'm getting off here a little bit, but I wanna, I wanna go back a little bit, uh, to the common evangelical mindset in your experiences in the Muslim world. Um you lived amongst Muslim people. They they surrounded you where you lived in your apartments and things like this in the city. Um, a lot of evangelicals here, and I'm sure you hear the things that I do, um, a lot of Christians here would be mortified to find out a Muslim might move next door to them uh, and would fear for their very life if that would happen. Yeah. My understanding from reading your newsletters is that uh, the converse was true. In your experience, yeah, we and had
0: a fun time out yeah. giving them. Okay. Uh, the uh, I had a had a neighbor who was a, a spear fisherman, and you know he would he would come home from spear fishing with a, a plastic bag full of fish, and say, "Here, I, I caught these for you." Um, the ladies would bake a, a cake or cookies or, or or some dish and and just bring you dinner. And the expectation was that, uh, you return the dish with something in it, with food in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, um, the hospitality, Arab, Middle Eastern, uh, Turkish hospitality is really amazing. It really, you know, puts us to shame. You hear mm-hmm. people occasionally say, you know, we moved from the front porch to our decks in the backyard and, uh, you know, we don't we don't talk to very many people right. uh, anymore. But that's that's not true in in many of the, the Muslim places that, that I've been, and it's it's a joy, it's a a privilege to be a part of that. It sounds very civilized to me. Uh, yeah, I I think um, you know the whole the whole individualism. Uh, perhaps we've taken it too far. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps we are a little more dependent on each other than we would like to admit. Perhaps my actions do affect, uh, other, other people. And perhaps it is worth my time and energy to build relationships with these people instead of just being, a you know, a talking bobblehead complaining about, uh, other people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know, you know what impressed upon me is that the, and I don't, I don't mean to lay an extreme case here, but, Often in our American culture, in our Christian culture, we see anybody outside our sphere as basically ignorant savages. We portray them that way in our entertainment and in, in our vernacular. But but I get the impression when I hear from people like you that maybe we in fact are the ignorant savages. Ding. We we are the we are the ones who are ignorant really of how the world works. And a lot of the problems is because we really don't have a global view, unlike other people. And in fact, some of our lifestyles—we may have great wealth, but that does not make us not savages, nevertheless.
3: Yeah, you know,
0: I, I, you know, when the when the German community came to Christ, when Christianity reached Germany, we were blessed with uh, some great theologians, some some good thinking. When the Gospel reached uh parts of asia um, Korea, we saw prayer reemphasized, and the whole house church or cell group movement uh affected the whole uh expression of faith around the globe. When the Gospel came to Latin America, we got a more expressive form of of worship um, when the gospel uh, came to to the US you, you know what what have we contributed to the global uh, body of Christ and and we bring things we bring um, financial resources we bring mm-hmm. an ability to, to plan you know strategic yeah planning uh, we bring some good things but the, the question I mean following that train of of logic you know what will happen when the gospel reaches into uh, an an Arab or a uh, Muslim population? How how will the body of Christ benefit when all of the gifts, all of the tribes, all of the nations are represented mm-hmm. in in that body? And I think one of the things that that um, Many Muslim cultures bring is this idea of, of hospitality mm-hmm. and and working um, together and, and this interconnectedness um, that says you know what happens to you matters because it affects me and mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have that in many parts of the world and and the church mm-hmm. today.
1: So so in other words, they can contribute something to the body here that we can also all enjoy. And appreciate yeah, at, that aspect of their personality and what they bring to the table.
0: Absolutely. You know, we 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 must stop defining them as as the evil other that's going to bring the destruction of of the world. Uh well, yeah, and yeah. and look for, look at them as um reflecting the image of God made in the image of God and and what what have they learned uh, about God and and honoring him um you know you you go to their Worship times and, and they're very different Than uh, an evangelical church mm-hmm. uh, But there's a sincere Attempt to to honor God in that And mm-hmm. um, I think there are things We can learn from that
1: Well what you're saying In terms of being able to see What they're going to contribute To the family as that unfolds Is more biblically accurate I believe Because when I look at passages I think it's Isaiah 19 I could be wrong on that But where it talks about the conversion of the people of Egypt, and also even of the people in Syria, mm. and God uses words to describe them like "my people." Mm. He he, ref- I mean, and that's just an amazing something that we don't normally think in American Christianity is that in our own Bible, He talks to the people of Egypt and the Syria, Syria as as calling them "my people." Mm. Uh, he also you know, calls Israel "my inheritance," but <laughs> obviously they all have a close intimate relationship with God prophetically one day that we might even have the joy of witnessing
0: yeah and and there were there were prophecies made to the descendants of Ishmael too
1: right 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 and and we should count it all joy when God can spread his benevolence to as wide a circle as possible uh, that does not mean he takes blessings from us to give to someone else uh, when he has a cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, the wider he makes that hit. In fact, anybody who's under the new covenant, who is a Gentile, who has had the privilege of seeing the circle widen, uh, to others, should, should automatically rejoice when we see that that blessing goes to as wide a wider group as possible, because we were the recipients of that under the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, we were the savages, the savage Gentiles that were estranged from God for millennia and through God's grace and benevolence the word was extended to us. How much more so should we see in the Muslim community that they could continue to get that grace that was already given to us? Uh, yeah. and, and in fact in many cases their desire to please God, their desire to be accountable to a personal God, that their their lifestyle and their their type of, of, of living matters that they're accountable for was in fact far more sophisticated than what many of the rest of us were in the western world who came from pagan backgrounds before we were christianized
0: when um, we were living in in uh, the middle east we developed a friendship with uh, a restaurant owner next to our apartment and the the wife and uh, of the restaurant owner and my wife uh we're talking and and we had daughters that were about the same age and our daughter was going out uh, on the town with this uh lady's daughter you know we felt safe letting our uh then 16 year old daughter uh run around with her muslim friends uh in in the city but we wanted to know where she was going and you know, what she would be doing and when could we expect her back. And this Muslim woman just looked at, at my wife amazed, saying, I, I didn't think you would be like that. I thought you were like uh, the people we see in the Americans we see in the movies. And that you would be, well, she was implying, uh, immoral and that we wouldn't really care about taking care of our children mm-hmm. like like uh, like they did. Right. Um you know, we when the when the world when the Muslim world looks at the um the US as a quote Christian nation, what they primarily see is uh a Hollywood betrayal of that Mm -hmm. and they don't want their daughters to be desperate housewives. Mm
1: -hmm. Um Because they wanna they wanna be accountable to God. And they yeah. see emulating what we show them could jeopardize their desire to live a holy life before God, the way they understand.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's right. So, and because, and because this is a quote Christian nation, that's what Christianity it represents to them, and they don't want that. Mm
3: hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Right. You know, uh, one area that I find very interesting in your involvement is your involvement that you've had in relationships with Muslim leaders. Now, I have gone to Christian meetings. In fact, I just went to a sh- uh, anti-Sharia law conference here in Nashville recently. had national leaders speaking. And they made it clear that they did not invite the imam to speak about the issue because they knew that Islam teaches that they're supposed to deceive infidels like us uh-huh. and that they would not... Give an opportunity for them to defend their positions because all they would do is their is their mandate to to uh, fool us. did you feel that was the case with the Muslim leaders that you dealt with, that you were just being manipulated, and that they're, they're, they had agendas against you, or did you have a different experience in your contacts with them
3: oh uh,
0: i had a had a different experience the uh, um, the the people the people were, were people. I mean, I don't want to paint them as, as super spiritual. Uh-huh. You know, they, they they would take advantage of a situation if they had opportunity to, but I didn't find it to be any different than Christian politicians and Christian businessmen uh-huh. uh, in in the U.S.
3: Uh-huh. So,
0: you know, we can say, well, they have a, you know, they're told to, to deceive, and, and I think, I think that's one of those passages that's probably taken out of context. You know, it's it's told to deceive for self-preservation or for or for defense. And I probably shouldn't say that because I I haven't really looked into that as much. Uh But so but so many of the things that we that the times that we quote uh, Muslims, it's it's situationally specific. For for example, you hear. Christians all the time say, well, aren't they told to kill the infidel wherever they find him? And and that's a situationally specific uh, passage in the Quran. People were being uh, attacked, uh, they were being deceived, and yeah, the instruction was to, to kill the people that, that are doing this. But it would be kind of like us going to pulling some Old Testament passage.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: or the Muslims uh, pulling some Old Testament passage and saying, see, that's the way they're supposed to treat everybody mm-hmm. everywhere all the time. Kill every um,
1: man, woman, and child, like the people of Jericho uh, or the other uh, tribes in Canaan, correct? Right. I mean, there's, so, there's ample stuff in the Old Testament. If somebody wanted to, they could make the same argument.
0: Sure. And, it would and, be, and be pe- wrong, but they could. And people do. I mean, that's that's the difference between uh the radicalized uh terrorist and the majority of peace loving families who are you know have been born into islam and are are just trying to raise their kids so when the passage in in John 10 when it says you know when you enter into a village find that person of peace there are people that are not people of peace uh and we do need to be uh, aware of that. But it's not right. just because they're Muslim. I mean, there are plenty of people that that are Christian mm-hmm. that, you know, are not people of peace. You know, they want to bomb things and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well,
1: I, well, as I also understand it, is that even when you would see people leaving for their time of prayer from the mosque, you're going to eventually encounter Muslims who leave the mosque and open up their liquor cabinet when they get home. Which is forbidden in Islam, which is exactly the kind of thing that happens with people who profess Christianity here.
0: Uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you just, you can't, I, I think we've said before, you know, there's, there's too many Muslims, uh, with too many varying, uh, interpretations right. to, to lump them all in, in one group. And there's a, a ton of Muslims that don't practice their faith. They're they're Muslim because they were born into a culture that's, yeah. that's Muslim. Like us. Like us. Boy, you know, that
1: makes it difficult, Martin, because then what we'd be forced to do is to actually have to sit down and meet some of these people and talk to them. And yeah. it's certainly a lot easier just to be able to categorize people, find out what their problem is, and move on, rather than having to take people on a one-by-one, case-by-case basis. So um the uh your experience that have been there through this period of time you've mentioned at times that the, there was a real spiritual thirst from the Muslim people that you knew uh and that you encountered and um you wanted to um, grow together with them spiritually i guess is 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 what I'm thinking uh and you found that they had a thirst to want to read the Bible. And it seems like that they had a time of self-discovery. Is that what you observed that that they really did want to read the Bible, talk about Jesus, and actually could see Jesus coming through the pages of the Bible and how it impacted them in their life?
0: I think I think that's definitely true. Um, The one of the one of the things that that passage of that of John the Baptist about Filling in the valleys and removing the mountains. If we can be in relationship with our, our Muslim friends, we can help clear up some of the misunderstandings. For example, um, you've probably heard this before, but you know when we talk about um, the uh, Jesus being the Son of God you know, what they hear us saying sounds like Greek mythology, where, Mm -hmm. you know, God saw Mary, he was pleased with her, and had a Mm -hmm. physical relationship with her, and the offspring was Jesus. Well, that's not what we mean by son of God. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what they've been taught that we believe. Right. Um, So until we are close enough to our Muslim friends to define terms... It doesn't work just to scream and insist that Jesus is the Son of God if they're using different definitions than what we're using. Right now, in in context and relationship, every Muslim I've talked to has been fascinated to find that the story of the Virgin Birth matches just very closely to what the Quran says.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and and that that's exciting to them uh, that. You know, I've had many say, "Oh, I, I never knew that."
3: Mm-hmm. When
0: we talk about Trinity, which of course is not a, a biblical term, but a descriptive of something that that we really can't understand ourselves. Yeah. Um, when we talk about Trinity, many have said to me that we worship three gods: uh, Allah, Jesus, and Mary, His mother. And, well, that's not even what I mean by Trinity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so terms and definitions are, are important. And we, we need to give them the, the freedom to, to study and, and a vocabulary that helps them not be shamed or not to shame their, their family. For example, we, um, sometimes are are so anxious to have someone make a decision you know raise their hand okay mm-hmm. i'm now a christian i'm not I'm not a muslim um, mm-hmm. that we don't help them process in a way that uh lets them uh, honor their family so i mean there's stories around the world where you know a son will uh, accept Jesus and he'll go back to his father and uh, say you know I'm no longer a Muslim I'm a I'm a Christian now and implying that the father has taught him wrong has deceived mm-hmm. him his whole life where if you can instruct uh, the the guy to value how God has brought him to this point in his life where he can see Jesus for who he is And have this son go back and thank his father for, um, having him, uh, honor Jesus as a prophet. And now he understands that, that, you know, he's so much more than that. But, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, we can either be insulting and confrontive, or we can walk a, a journey with our, uh, Muslim friends that, I mean, the gospel can be offensive, but let the gospel be the offense and not us. Right. Um, And you know what? It is self-offensive.
1: If we can have the trust in the Holy Spirit and in his word to deal privately with someone in his time and place to take them where he wants to take them over time, and it may be a lifetime to take them there, mm -hmm. but, but we can trust him to do that. We can introduce people to the word in a way that's mutually respectful let them find the joys of self discovery that they find in there and then trust god to take mm. them where he wants to take them mm. that solves a lot of these issues that you're talking about where sometimes there are fights that are picked that don't need to be picked
3: uh, i
0: was i was reading the i was reading reading the gospel with the, one of my palestinian friends and, uh, we had read, we had read all the way through, uh, Luke together, and, um, we're just, we're just getting into John, and, and he said, he said, did Jesus ever say that he was God? Just come out and directly say that he was God. Yeah. And I, well, actually we hadn't started John yet. And I said, well, yeah, in John 1-1, Jesus says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word, um was God. And you know, we know that um uh, He dwelt Jesus, among men. Yeah.
3: and among um, men.
0: he said he said, no, no, no. So that was John talking about Jesus. Did Jesus ever say he was God? It's like, well, okay, so he doesn't quite have the high view of, of scripture that I have yet. Um but you know, you, you press on. I thought about going to the I am statements, but that seemed kind of abstract for, for where yeah. we were. Um so I uh, um, there's there's the passage in is it John ten or, or fourteen where Jesus says um, I and and the Father are one
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um, you know if you've seen me you've seen you've seen the Father and um, he said well yeah but maybe maybe what he meant my, my Palestinian friend said mm-hmm. maybe what maybe what he meant was that he and God see things the same way. They're they're, uh-huh. yeah. they're the one in purpose. I mm-hmm. said, well, okay, uh, you know that's that's all I've got for it, you, know. And I could have argued it and um, and tried to uh, press the point, but I just didn't. You know, you, you let it lay. Yeah. And then and then about a month later, he called me. He was all excited, and he said said, Martin, I found it. I found where Jesus said He's God. Um, and I was excited about that because what it meant was he was reading his Bible when I right. wasn't with him. Right. Uh, but the passage he turned to was was the same passage in John. He says, "Right here, Jesus says that I and the Father are one." So, well, that's that's amazing. Yeah, you're you're right. And you know, but but what I learned from that was he just wasn't ready to hear it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But God hmm. God is working in his heart, shaping him just like he shapes you and me, and eventually got him to a point where he was ready to accept that in in his spirit. Now, this friend still calls himself a Muslim, but he professes Jesus as his Lord, uh and is depending on Jesus for his salvation. Um so um you know there are things of Islam that that I think the the Holy Spirit will weed out of the person's life in time mm-hmm. right but rather than me put um, make rules for him to follow
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh it's just give give the spirit time to to bring about the transformation mm-hmm. that that he's done uh in my life and mm-hmm. I, and many times we say well you know if you're if you're going to um we usually say be a christian if you're going to be a christian then what you need to do is you need to stop going to mosque you need to stop facing mecca when you pray you need to stop you know wearing that silly little hat on your head uh you need to dress more like us and and you know maybe you know look like look like a christian and to me it's sort of like the galatian heresy it's it's um yeah. it's a G- it's a jesus plus gospel you know you you can be a part of our club if you become a Jew first and, and if you get circumcised and if you and and then accept jesus and it's a Jesus plus gospel, and we impose that on Muslims all the time instead of trusting that the Holy Spirit loves this individual and is drawing this person uh, to himself. We just need to be a faithful witness there to to answer their questions, mm-hmm. ready to give a, a reason for our hope.
1: It, it, we have no right to be giving ultimatums to people uh, for in, on our terms. I mean, right. God, God may give them an ultimatum uh, uh, privately with them on his own time and place, but we have no right to be giving them, nor, nor any obligation they have to us for any of these things they need to look at. All, all we're called to do is to spread some good news, and if we're not giving it in a way that sounds good, then we're giving it the wrong way, or we're yeah. saying the wrong thing. And it should be a litmus test that if this is not a good and liberating word, then we're getting in the way of the message that God originally intended. And, and I I suspect that this crisis that we have in the American church, and we'd like to think that's just the way things go on everywhere, but it's a, a crisis of the American church and how they're dealing with the Muslim. And And, and I guess I really have a real sensitivity to this because... I try to study it a lot and look into what 's happening with the sharia law battles and and everything else it's It's almost like God is either trying to test us or he's trying to instruct us because I see this struggle and it's so tied into politics it's so tied into worldview cold war worldview, this whole dualism of us versus them that is part of our american culture and we've 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 spiritualized it and all of this. But that he's trying to teach us to have a God's eye view of something out of our very, very myopic Christian culture that we have here. And, and I'm sure you're like me. We were raised in sort of a classic evangelical upbringing. Uh, it's a wonderful environment to be in. It's very secure in a lot of things. Very cut and dried uh, in its way that it interprets certain parts of the Bible. But... It can be an imposition to our effectiveness for the kingdom as a whole. Uh, if if we cannot step and look above it and look at a bigger picture that that steps out of our culture. And this whole struggle with Islam is something, the lessons that you're talking about. being Learning how to trust God. Learning how to just introduce people to Jesus. Introduce Him to His Word. Let God speak to them on their time and their terms. Let them get a desire to thirst us anymore. That is just as useful... For the guy or the woman at work that we work with, who who was just just a regular American skeptic, or someone in the New Age movement, or someone who's in in more of a communistic kind of viewpoint or whatever, these same kind of things serve us no matter what kind of culture we're dealing with, do they not?
0: Yeah, that's that's very true, and I, and I think that's generally the theme of uh, Carl's uh, book, Speaking of Jesus. You know, he took the principles that he had learned working with Muslims and, and applied it to. Uh, life life here in the U.S.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
1: And and one thing that should make it out, and I'm not trying to, to to minimize the challenges for someone who's been raised in a Muslim environment that uh, takes their religion very seriously, at least many do, the devout, uh, strong cultural influences, strong history influences that go back hundreds of years, of crusades and beyond that, all that's wrapped into the psyches of what's going on. But at least we have some commonalities that we can start to build from. At least we're dealing with someone who believes in a personal God, who actually believes that they're accountable, that the God is holy, and that their lifestyle and actions that they will be judged and accountable for. And provides at least some kind of basis for us to, to build from, does it not? In, in a in a real opportunity that we have?
0: Yeah, it it does. The the Quran tells uh the Muslim People that the the believer that they should study the signs that God revealed before, study the prophets that that came before, and and many of the the misperceptions that Islam teaches. It's sort of like our role. I think should be more like a, a Quill and Priscilla coming alongside of Apollos and explaining the way more adequately. You know when they say. When they say no one can pay for your sin for you, uh, you've got to pay for your own sin. um, They have in the Quran the story of Abraham's sacrifice, you know, sacrificing his son Mm -hmm. and, and God providing a substitutionary sacrifice that was acceptable to him. So if they're going to study the signs that came before, you can look at that sign and say, you know, every year you, you celebrate a, a festival um, that commemorates this event. And, you know, this is what we can learn from the sign, that God does or can accept a substitutionary sacrifice, provide it, um, he, he provides it. And, gee, that sounds a whole lot like Jesus to me. -hmm. Um, you know, Muslims will say things like, you know, well, God will weigh our deeds, and, you know, it's a whole classic scale things. And, and, um, but they also have the story of the, the fall. And it's like, you know, how many, how many sins did it take to separate and break the relationship between Adam and God? You know, um, just, just one. And, you know, so what can we learn from, Looking at that sign you know one sin and and we're in trouble we need a savior to intervene for us and uh, you know Adam tried to cover his own shame by making uh, a garment and God said that's not good enough I have to intervene and uh, and uh, make something acceptable to me and the Quran says he killed a lamb uh, and made mm-hmm. a garment for uh, Adam Adam and Eve and it's like, well, you know, I, I can use those as sorts of types pointing right. forward to, to Jesus. And, then, you know, you come all the way through to, to the Quran, and the Quran says, if you want to know the straight way to the kingdom of God, which, you know, devout Muslims will pray, I forget if it's 14 or 17 times a day, God, show us the straight way to the kingdom of God. If you want to know the straight way to the kingdom of God, you've got to study the signs. The Quran, in a sense, points back to Jesus as the central figure. It, it mentions Jesus by name more than it mentions Muhammad. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there are all these bridges that we can use that point to Jesus. And if we're in relationship with our Muslim friends, we, we can gently point these things out um, in, in time.
1: In, in a non-exploitative way. In a way that, if the roles were reversed, you could feel completely at comfort that you weren't taking advantage of this person or manipulating them.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, have you ever seen this? Like, uh, what, what's this when it says that God, God talked about a, a raiment of righteousness that was to come. What, what's that mean in in the Quran? You know, and and just have a dialogue, a, a friendly relationship, and you get to a point you disagree. It's like, well, okay, let's drink coffee now, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and come come back to it another day. Um, would
1: would you say there's been fruit born from oh, this I, kind of interaction?
0: Ab- absolutely. I you know I went when uh, we were in Ghana. Um, I was just beginning to learn some of these principles, and um, was with uh, a guy up in the middle of Ghana who had been a... uh, He had been a Muslim, and he had converted to Christianity. And I was... In in Ghana, they they go out... They call it evangelizing. So they just walk through the village, and, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And that works there. It wouldn't work very well here, but it did there. So we're walking through the village, and we walk by a mosque that's just letting out from prayer. And um, I'm thinking the guy the Muslim uh that had converted the Muslim background believer. I'm thinking, well surely he'll have the good sense not to talk to all these Muslims coming right out of mosque. But he was bold and he walked up and said, Hey, can we tell you about Jesus? And um a bunch of these Muslims coming out of the mosque sat down and said, You know, okay, um, talk. And you know, we went we went through some of the signs that God had revealed. And um when when I had finished doing this presentation, a guy who initially I thought was going to be trouble. You know how people's posture just sometimes say, yeah. if, if you're I'm gonna cause you trouble. Well this guy eventually started helping me find or helping the translator find the right word. He was helping explain uh what I what I was saying. And uh, when I finished the presentation, he said, "He said I believe everything that you've said." Now I know if he had been a really informed Muslim, he probably should have taken exception to a few of the things that I said, but but he didn't. You know, we were respectful, and uh, he said he said if if the if the Christians here would talk like you talk, then there wouldn't be the problem between us and, and the Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it really is, as you said before, the golden rule: do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do, do you want somebody showing up and saying you're an idiot? You know, um, yeah.
1: It's that simple. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, you, you almost can't go wrong if you stop and say, if the shoot, if the roles were reversed, uh, and I was in the other position, how would I feel about the way I was dealing with them? Right. And um it and, will lead you right every time.
0: And all and all these people that are, you know, ranting and raving and uh saying hateful things about Muslims, it's like do you really think Jesus would would do that? Is, is that what Jesus is calling us to do? Or is this motivated by uh insecurity, fear, um you know, I, it, it's impossible to know the, the hearts of men, but I know that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, and we're walking in fear right
1: mm-hmm. now. It may show a lack of knowledge of even Christ. I mean, it may really show a, a real fundamental problem in our spiritual condition. If this is the case, you know, you were talking about an example from Jesus, and there's one at least to me that that I interpret as relevant, and that is when when Jesus dealt with the woman at the well who was a a Samaritan, and the reason why I say that is that, you know, I've never known that much about Samaritans, and I have a hard time finding much information, but recently when I was reading about them, um, my understanding is is that they have their own holy book, the Samaritan Pentateuch, Hmm. uh, that's sort of related to ours, but it's its own. Um, They have a different center of worship than the other Jews. They believe Mount Gerizim was... Where they originally worshiped when they, when they came into the land and they were there when they had the, you know, the tribes go on to the two, wasn't Mount Ebal, I believe, Mount Gerizim and blessings and curses. And they understood that was where the worship was supposed to be. And in fact, they even accused Eli, uh, the priest of having gone against God and having moved to Jerusalem. So I find, and, and I find very commonalities between their relationship to the Jews in our situation in the Muslim world mm-hmm. in that they have their own holy book. They share many of the same prophets at the time as the Jews, many other relationships, but there was a break in a place of worship and other things. And when Jesus came and ministered to her, on top of it, she was a woman, which was another taboo, and it turned out his peers amongst his fellow Jews wouldn't even go into their territory. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they had so condemned them that they wouldn't even thought they were unclean to even go through their land. And Jesus not only went there, but, you know, her response was, after he began sharing about the kingdom with her, she says, well, I, I see that you're a great prophet, which is obviously what the Muslims today say about Jesus. Right. And and, and Jesus did not condemn her for her statement. Right. Uh, he, but there, he started
0: where she was and then took right. her to a place of more complete faith.
1: And the thing I found more fascinating is she made a very valid point of what their differences were, was that they believed on worshiping on that mountain, and the Jews believed in Jerusalem. And she pointed out that that was a key difference. And Jesus' response was not to just go into a big fight and defend the traditional Jewish position about where they worshiped and other facts. He says, you know, the day's coming when they're not going to worship on either mountain. Right. And we're just going to all worship in spirit and truth. Right. And the example he sets is is that these artificial, you know, spiritual flags in the ground that we have are just that. We, we've made some of these things sacred. When the point is, when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to set aside some of these flags that we have that we cherish and just say, let's just all set at the feet of Jesus and see where he takes us. Mm. Amazing things can happen.
0: Yeah, and and we don't get to control it, you know. We we yeah. want we want people to think like we think. We want to persuade them. Um, it, it it's almost like we think God's going to give some type of theology test, you know. You step up to the pearly gates and say, "Here, fill out this form first. Let's make sure you agree on you know all the right doctrines, and and then I'll let you in." You know, our, our faith is much more um, spirit led and. Mm-hmm. Uh, dependent on on God's grace and mercy than on our expert knowledge.
1: I sure hope there isn't a test there, Martin, because I'm afraid I would fail miserably. Well, yeah, and all of us. And our Futurian listeners that we would have, Tom and I, they'd be the first ones to accuse us. Uh, <laughs> because week after week, we've struggled with one controversial topic after the next. And all I've got to do is look back over the last years we've been doing our show to see how much I have changed in my positions. And I'm sure that's not stopped. And I've learned from people from the most surprising areas of relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if, that, if that's the case, man, then, then, you know, we're all in bad shape. Let, let, let's let just hope yeah, he's as gracious as we understand him to be and then some right. uh, from Scripture. Right. Um, I, I've got to I know we're coming up to the end here and I want to sort of conclude with what you feel called to do right now and uh-huh. move on from there but can I sneak in one more controversial question to, <laughs> sure. just to, just to get your opinion and if you don't want to comment on it that's fine All right. but this is sort of like an elephant in the room in the American Christian experience and there's a lot more I'd like to ask you that I would just need a six hour interview with you to cover but
2: yeah. Um. hope you're not doing anything for the next two as, days as
1: is <laughs> You know, you were raised in a Christian school, an evangelical environment, like myself, and many of our listeners, uh, of some form or another. In that, you know, and we were taught, as a as a conservative Christian background, the importance of a restored Israel in the last days, uh-huh. and we all grew up with a strong emphasis on Bible prophecy, and st- I still have that. And basically our duty to support them as, as an American nation, you know, in God's hand in America, mm-hmm. to support them as part of God's plan and people. And, and heaven forbid that we would have any kind of responses that would be something adverse to whatever the current policy is of the ruling secular party in Israel at any particular time. Have your years of experience in international service impacted your view of how we're supposed to respond to this situation in Scripture and what God's working is through the people of Israel and the people in the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, I I, I think God wants to save uh, Israelites. Um, huh. Yeah. Um, But I also think that even all through the Old Testament, when Israel did dumb things, yeah. when they did things that were not just, uh God didn't give them a buy, you know, he, he yeah. judged he judged them for it. And um the you know, he he gave them teachings about how to treat the uh, stranger right. in the in their land to be uh hospitable and and to be a witness to his faithfulness. And um I it, it concerns me um, that the, the plight of the Palestinians, and, uh, and I'm concerned that we don't hear, um, the, the whole story. Um, you know, if, if a temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, um, that is not the hope of salvation for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. The hope of salvation is in Jesus. Right he he is he is the the way um so in in some ways i you know i wonder i may maybe you know this uh you you're probably more of an expert on this than than i am but you know the the passages that talk about israel being uh restored is it descriptive or prescriptive um <laughs> is it is it yes, this is going to happen, or is it this must happen because this is the way mm-hmm. I want it to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know. That's that's a, a question that I have mm-hmm. right now. But I,
1: Well, this is a struggle that we've gone back and forth over the years in Futurequake because we cover a lot of Bible prophecy topic, and it's a hangout for other prophecy buffs like ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we believe in God's prophetic work, and obviously they're at a centerpiece of this. But the struggle I've had, because this affects, obviously, our Muslim-American relationship directly, mm-hmm. uh, back on topic. And as I understand God's word, I believe that he has an inheritance that is due to them in the 12 tribes, merely just out of faithfulness to his promises to a couple of his favorite people, Abraham, David, people like this. But I also believe that these scriptures show that they must... Uh, that the the, the enemies that surround them today are being used as tools of God to prepare them from the end state that God insists they come to, which is a state of receiving their Messiah and of calling out to the Messiah, and that God is using enemies and other peoples in their land to be able to convict them uh, of of not only their, their state of the Messiah, but also the injustices and other things that God pointed out through the prophets that it happened uh, through them. So, um, you know, the question becomes not so much as God going to fulfill his prophetic word, but what is our role in it? Uh, we talked earlier about when you, when you share the Bible with people, there's, whether it be Muslim or whoever, there's a point when you have to stand back and let God work with somebody through his word. And that applies to the Jew as well as to the Muslim and sometimes God has to take people through trials, uh, if the relationship is of a nature that that's a requirement for them to get to the right state, sometimes blessings. But God has prescribed a lot of this, I think. And this is another case where sometimes we make enemies in a case where the Bible's not calling us to do this. And, you know, while God is doing a work through them and will use tribulation in their behalf to be able to instruct them, I find sometimes we meddle. Uh, in these things. And, and talking with uh, Brother Tom here the other day, I've been suspecting that in some ways we're acting like the gourd over Jonah's head. Mm. That while Jonah's up on the hillside waiting for his enemies to be destroyed, we grow up and provide some kind of shelter for him to provide him comfortable. What we're really doing is getting in the way of God's light to shine down on Jonah uh, to be able to show him that, that he has compassion on the people that he's looking over for their destruction.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, until the church in America starts really taking more of a holistic view of some of these kind of things and trying to decouple politics from it, I see that's going to be a main inhibition of our ability to be able to reach out effectively in the Muslim community. What, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, uh, again, I, I think the, the central question is Jesus and right. not so much uh, what happens with Israel.
3: Mhm-
0: so you know the the question is will how and when will people accept jesus um and uh, when you know when when political Israel um takes stances and and claims some type of god mandate for doing those things. I think we need to be really careful and make sure they really are speaking for God. Mm-hmm. Um, or is that some uh, form of, of manipulation? You know? yeah, I,
1: I guess the point, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but the point I'm getting at, back to our ministry to the Muslim community is that when when, when we get into pol- really political struggles and we try to spiritualize these things and draw sides and pick favorites in this as if we understand the full nature of what God's unfolding plan is, um, and that includes finding those. In fact, uh, we were at a meeting recently where we heard some people praying over some struggles in the Middle East, and they said they looked forward to when the goat nations were driven into the sea. You know, meaning those that were the neighbors of Israel. And I'm I'm thinking as a Christian, I don't think Jesus perceives those people as goat nations. I think he perceives those as people that he died for yeah. individually. And that who will stand up and ask, regardless of whether it's right or wrong on this is how it's going to work together prophetically and this and that, how does this impact our ability to spread the gospel to that people group? I I saw another yeah. case, by the way, just to give you another example, where uh, uh, somebody I saw got in sort of hot water in a Christian meeting that I was at. And they were going along just fine talking about their work overseas and some of them in the Muslim world. And someone asked him a pointed question that they answered it that had a political component, and it was about the last election. And the, the, it was sort of a veiled attempt to, to show that that uh, America had gone to pot because we had uh, elected a liberal president. And the gentleman who was a, was a missionary said, well, you know, I have my own views about that, you know, whether that was good or not for America. But he says, let's take a view uh, from God's view in his reach to the world. He said... Now, and I don't know whether this is true or not. This is his opinion. But he said that m- many people overseas believed that Obama was was raised a Muslim, but that, that that he had converted to Christianity. And they said when they see that now, that actually makes them take Christianity more seriously because that's how they perceive him. And he says in a way that can be a blessing for the gospel. He said also, he says, they sense that America may be more fair on some of these issues because he is present. And that presides, prevents, or prov- provides us an opportunity to have more success in sharing the gospel with people because of that perception. Now, he was not saying that he was happy that he was president or that, that it was good for the people of America, yeah or nay. But what he was saying is if we look at it from our mission for the Great Commission, from a global perspective, there may be some positive things here, and he was roundly castigated for even making such a conjecture, and, and this this is what I'm getting at. The point is, isn't this a problem that in America we often just don't take a God's-eye view in looking at the world events and how they impact the Great Commission more than they do our own individual national interest?
0: Uh, I, yeah, I think that's that's very true, and that's – and that's sort of at the heart of nationalism. You know, God, God's on our side, and uh, it's it's us against the the world. Um, mm. You know, who's was it? Gideon about to go into uh, Jericho? You know, and met the angel. You know, who's, whose side are you on? Well, I'm not on anybody's side. Right. I'm on God. I'm on God's side, and right. uh, and that's the side we want to be on as as believers our citizenship uh is not of this world Amen. we we are a blessed people um we have but we have responsibilities with that you know the the people who have multiple talents uh also have a, a greater responsibility and we cannot turn a blind eye to injustice uh in the world um, Yeah, I'll leave it there.
1: If we do, we ignore a major hunk of the Bible and the testimony of the majority of the prophets who recited the words directly from God to the people, Right. if we do that. Um, As we're getting here to the end, I want to talk for just a little bit about what you're doing now. You're involved in a group called Peace Catalyst International. Uh Can you tell us a little bit about that, what its mission is, what your role is in it right now, and the kind of activities that they do?
0: Um. Yeah, peace catalyst is is a a group that focuses on uh, dialogue and establishing peace, and we we've touched on on some of the verses where uh, you know we serve the Prince of Peace, and um, I grew up being taught that uh, you know like peace activists were liberal people that um, you know were to be looked with suspicion. Mm-hmm. and uh now yeah they I, weren't
1: they weren't loyal, and they were also naive
0: right right and uh, and now i I see peace as a desire of jesus. I see him saying, "Look for the people of peace I see him you know bring uh justice uh where you where you can look out for the the oppressed so peace what peace catalyst does. And a lot, a lot of it focuses on working with Muslims because that's like one of the, the hot topics, mm-hmm. you know, right, right now. Where the need and, is. And yeah, and, and it, it two thirds of the world's population between Christians and Muslims, and and we've got to learn to uh, get along and coexist in peace, even if um, Christians don't convert to Islam or. Uh, Muslims don't convert to Christianity. We still have to coexist in peace, and and we believe um, that the foundation for that is found in the Prince of Peace and in His teachings.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not uh, uh, if we just establish peace. I think that is a legitimate goal of of the kingdom mm-hmm. do, do I want to see everyone following Jesus and, and trusting in him uh, for their salvation Abs- absolutely but if we just establish peace and understanding that too is a kingdom objective that will lead to greater justice mm-hmm. and less uh, persecution less uh, villainizing uh, people who don't deserve to be Treat it as as enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's called a catalyst because uh, there's there's a lot of education that has to be done. Uh, not that that we're going to do everything, but we're we're looking for opportunities for people who love peace to come alongside of them and help them refine their plans uh, from a kingdom perspective. Uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about having a world. Uh, perspective instead of just a, a U.S. uh, political mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. So we, we bring our experience, um, both as believers and as people who are, uh, familiar with, um, uh, the world setting to, to a certain degree, uh, on these peace initiatives. Uh, one, one neat example, uh, that was started. It's called um, Visual Peacemakers. And this was a group of professional photographers. Uh, they're not all believers. Some some of them mm-hmm. are. But they they promote peace through showing the dignity of humanity instead of just portraying the, the tragic stories. Mm-hmm. So they'll go into a, a village or a, a Muslim setting or a... a a military setting or, or whatever, and, and try to tell the story of the people um, and demonstrate their value through their photography. So that's a um, a way to help us better understand each other, and that's their contribution uh, toward toward peace. Uh, the Peace Catalyst Office in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina were able to work with uh, a church and a mosque and a synagogue, uh, and they did what they called an Abraham build. So the uh, those three, a church, a mosque, and a synagogue, got together, and they're funding and building a Habitat house.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and by doing that, you get uh, Muslims and Jewish people and Christian people working elbow to elbow, um, you know, taking... Their coffee breaks together, and and hopefully sharing lunch together, and uh, getting to know each other, so that they're no longer the misunderstood okay. evil other,
3: huh.
1: um, and, sp- and and then not spreading lies about each other, even inadvertently or accidentally. Right. So then, got well, let, can I ask you something about this real quick? On because I want you to tell me more about it. But a lot of our listeners come from very much of a hyper discernment kind of viewpoint and for good reason because on our show we talk a lot about a lot of the deceptions that are out there in seemingly innocuous activities uh and a lot of our listeners are aware of a lot of United Nations activities in peacemaking uh things gl- there's global religion initiatives uh-uh. uh I spoke at one in Montreal that was it was sponsored by the World Council of Churches and the UN right. and it basically was a hardcore pagan Very anti Christ group. There, there were some Sufis there and others, but mostly all from more of a new age, new agey background, Kabbalah, you know, of the big three monotheistic. It was their their new age strains of them there, and so they have a rightful uh, distrust of some of these kind of um, interfaith kind of activities. Yeah, and that people would end up like giving up their own faith and their and their beliefs and sacrificing that for some kind of hybrid belief system that takes away the essentials of the faith. Can you clarify that these kind of activities don't have anything to do with that?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I can't speak for everybody in the the efforts, but we talk yeah. about multi-faith dialogue instead of interfaith dialogue. Now, maybe it's a play on words, right. but but multi-faith implies you know, you come with your convictions. Be, be a Christian, be a Jewish mm-hmm. person, be a Muslim. Explain your position, Let, you know, mm-hmm. and, and why you think that. Mm-hmm. Um, respectfully. Respectfully. Um, you know, the, the intent is not to insist that everybody convert to one religion or the other um you know we we hope to find common ground but there's a whole lot more common ground than what is being led than we're being led to believe um by some of the the louder voices mm-hmm. um but we're not going to find the common ground unless we're talking to each other instead mm-hmm. of about each other mm-hmm. so so be fully Convinced in your own mind that that you uh, have the right path, uh, be ready to explain that. But also be humble enough to uh, realize that we're we need to learn to live together, mm-hmm. and we need to understand each other. And mm-hmm. that's and that's a productive. Uh, it's much more productive to do that than to stand in our respective corners and yell about uh, the the other.
1: So so you could say. No matter whether we have the actually perfect doctrine or not, even if we were to possess that, Jesus would not be impressed at all if we took that doctrine and used it to kill other people who weren't, or even just to do some kind of harm to them, even based out of fear or paranoia. So you can have all the right doctrine in the world, and you can still do something harmful for Christ in the way that you react to others with it.
0: Well, I think if you have the right doctrine, you're not going to be... Uh, harming other people right, so right. the the truth right exactly, yeah, so I mean, but you know, I guess that's my doctrine, you know
1: yeah um, <laughs> well, I interrupted you, in and tell me some more about peace catalyst, any other kind of things that uh our listeners might be interested in
0: yeah, you know we we do uh different things in different cities uh peace catalyst is just two years old you You could go to the website and and see. Uh, a lot of information. A lot of well, there's a, there's an article on there about uh, you know is interfaith dialogue um, not productive? Uh, or you know people say it it's not productive. It waters down mm-hmm. the message to the least common denominator. Mm-hmm. And you know what what is the value? So there's an article on there about that. Um, y- your your listeners might find a, a different set of people. Uh, contributing to that that uh you know they they might enjoy reading um, the website's peace uh, dash catalyst dot net
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and if our listeners have never met a Muslim before, they can maybe go to one of these meetings and not worry about them pulling out a scimitar and killing them on the spot, <laughs> as we've been told in church
2: uh, yeah. they might yeah. be they able all to show it. up to these meetings with big yeah. swords yeah. 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 yeah they might be able to get out alive
3: if I they. I <laughs> run across
2: the front yard
3: with
1: a well, sword. <laughs> you know that sounds ridiculous, Tom, but basically <laughs> yeah, it does. the anti-Sharia law conference, I go what you just did is what was portrayed I know there i know i it, i know, i get on i get on a big people churches this is the the climate. Big,
2: big people churches what, yeah like, the, exceptionally the, tall like the well, gravity's weird, they have long faces the like big well to do churches canid- <laughs> well
1: the big well to do churches this is this is sort of the common thing, and yeah. of course, many of these Christian leaders. You will find them behind closed doors if you can find the pictures dressed Coddinson, up in Crusader. Yeah. Well, they're dressed up in Crusader outfits Coddinson, and holding swords. drinking heavily. And they're probably not going to be speaking. sexual dalliances. Well, no. Let's not get into that. Involved in the
2: Franklin case.
1: Well, that's that's a different show. Uh, but they're yeah, not going to be involved in peace catalyst activities. Yeah. Um, they're going to be.
2: They're going to be involved in war catalyst activities. Well,
1: yeah. They're going to be in activities that look mistakenly close to Nuremberg rallies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing
2: they're missing is the little mustache.
1: So, ha- having been to plenty of those recently, Brother Martin, Remember I'm excited George? to hear that I can go hear about Muslims and Jews in an atmosphere where everybody respects each other, and Jesus is not threatened by that.
0: No, I, you know, he 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 can handle it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and we, you know, we we will do things like have a uh, a meal. Uh, we'll have a church host a mosque for a meal,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and, and the point is to get people talking again to each other instead of about each other, uh, in, in a respectful in a respectful way. We'll have uh, an imam and a pastor uh, share a stage and uh, share with their audience uh, things like, "What does your religion teach about peace?" Um, and you know they're they're kind of softball questions in in a sense, but you've got to start somewhere right. um, and and see where it goes from there and We encourage people to invite uh a muslim in in a Muslim family into your home. We uh-huh. had international students uh here in our city share both Thanksgiving and Christmas with us great opportunities to share. The reason for our hope um uh, and and to find common ground um, so those, and there's a, there's a special blessing for Christians who do that who, yeah blessed blessed are the peacemakers
1: um, the the Lord can touch your heart, and once you can tap into that empathy that Jesus has and you see people for what they are. Um, there is a very, very special blessing that will make your faith richer, and you can bless somebody else uh, I'll never forget after we had Carl Madeiras on our show, and it was either directly after that one or or some similar shows. One of our listeners, who's an older woman listener, said that she used to go to Walmart and she would see the women with their with their Muslim garb and things like this and be afraid of them and stay away from them and be fearful. And suddenly after hearing some of the testimonies on our shows of people who worked with them, she suddenly was able to see the fear in these women's eyes, mm. that they were in a foreign culture, just like we would be when we're in a foreign culture. They were in a foreign culture. they She could see that they were overwhelmed by what was going on around them. And she saw a, she felt a compulsion and saw an opportunity to reach out to these women and ask them what she could do to help.
0: No, that's that's beautiful. And, and,
1: and it was, you know, the, the, the warmth that you feel, the indwelling of Jesus Christ when you reach out to do that, is better than you'll ever feel in almost any church service you'll go to.
0: We had a uh, Turkish friend here who uh, covered, uh, not all Turkish women do cover, it's a mm-hmm. fairly secular uh, Islamic country. But this woman covered, and she said, "For she's lived in the states for some time. She said, for the first two years, no one smiled at her.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I, I've taken my family and lived in other cultures. You know, you struggle through the language, you struggle through cultural expectations. It's just hard. So to hear, you know, the story that you told of somebody who had empathy for uh, the stranger." And yeah. uh, in, in their in their land, uh, I told somebody in in our church, you know, here's a starting place for you: smile at yeah. Muslims. And um, I I said that I don't know. It's been a year ago, and a, a lady, little lady, came up to me just uh, two or three weeks ago and says, "I've been doing it. I've been smiling at Muslims." <laughs> well, good for you. You know, that's mm-hmm. a yeah, that's man. a, a awesome. good good start.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I've not traveled that much overseas. I've done a little bit. Most of them were Commonwealth kind of countries or neutral places like Sweden or places like that, Europe. Um, But when I went to Russia the first time I went, and I was starting to feel my oats a little bit, and I hopped on their metro, thinking I was going downtown to the center of Moscow into the Kremlin, and I ended up getting on the metro going out to the countryside. And I rode and rode and rode, and I started seeing farmland. And I started thinking, you know, nobody knows I'm here. This wasn't long after the wall fell down, you know, a few years. Nobody knows I'm here. I don't know any Russian other than how to say thank you. And I thought, how in the world? I wasn't even sure maybe if we'd switch tracks. And so I remember getting off of that train and feeling this panic in my stomach, thinking, how am I going to get back? It's going to be dark soon. Trains may stop running. I don't know the language. And I'm going up talking to this babushka woman, trying to point and show that I had to get back to Moscow, which is a very hard thing to do with charades. But somehow I was able to figure it out.
2: How do you communicate that language? And
1: somehow I was able to get back onto a, a train and got a sensation that, yeah, I was heading back. And this overwhelming relief came over me, you know, from this pit in my stomach. And suddenly I just felt God telling me. That's what it feels like for all the foreign people in your country Mm
3: -hmm.
1: when you see them there. Picture being in that situation all the time where you couldn't leave. You weren't there for a couple of days. You're going to be there immersed in this culture in abject fear. Uh, And I tell you, there can be pretty mean streets in America. And it presents us an incredible opportunity And and speaking of opportunities, you've talked about some of the the peace meetings you had, activities, to just try to build simple bridges of trust to get Mm -hmm. started with that. How can our listeners get involved in this kind of activity? What are some explicit things you recommend they do right now, if, if the Lord is really just pricking their heart right now, to take some action in this direction?
0: specifically with muslims I, I think carl Medeiros is just a great place to start his book uh, muslims christians and jesus uh is uh mm-hmm. is an excellent starting point um and then his follow up book really brings it home to america uh and and how we respond to people mm-hmm. um, peace catalyst only has workers uh in raleigh uh seattle uh phoenix Louisville and and in Vermont, uh, okay. right now, just two years old, just starting. Um, next September, I, I don't have the date in front of me. Uh, we're trying to plan uh, a meeting in Washington D.C. at Georgetown University, uh, Evangelicals uh, for Peace, where we're going to talk about. Uh, we'll bring together the, the you know biggest names we we can get there but we'll talk about um just war uh but more than that just peace mm-hmm. um and how I, to wage I, it, it how,
1: to, how, how how to wage peace
0: yeah how to ju- but just peace um you know eliminating the causes of of mm-hmm. war you know why like, people go to war for a reason um uh, yeah. what what is it What's their, what's their beef and, and how can we resolve that and do we have a role in, in doing that? But evangelicals for, for peace, there's a growing number of evangelical people that are questioning, um, uh, our, our stance on, on some things. And, and that's a healthy place to be. Go to the website and read, uh, the Peace Catalyst website and read some of the stuff. Our, Our president, Rick Love, um was uh studied studied at Yale was a part of the the common word uh forum that they had a, a couple of years back um he's just a great thinker uh mm-hmm. on these areas and and you'll see other guest writers on there um and you know start start reading start intentionally uh trying to engage the, the foreign population here mm-hmm. some huge percentage of international students never get in the home of an American mm-hmm. um, you know what a, what a tragedy if, yeah. if we want to be not only ambassadors for Christ but ambassadors for our country mm-hmm. um, we need to intentionally build relationships with the people that that God's bringing here and um, uh, where is it? Where, uh, Acts, uh, 17, I think it is, where Paul's on Mars Hill and he says, uh, you know, God ordained the times and the places that you would live. Mm-hmm. And he did this so that some people might reach out to him and perhaps find him. Rather than chafing that all of these Muslims are coming to our country, Realize that it's God who ordained the places and the times that not only the Muslims live, but that you live, right. and um, you know He has you here for a reason,
3: hmm.
0: and the reason is so that maybe people will reach out to Him and perhaps find Him. Um, so, so get involved, you know. Don't don't mm-hmm. be a talking bobblehead complaining about things and and uh, having. Yeah. Having an opinion about everything but no solution, get get in there and do something.
1: Yeah, that's our job here on Future Quick, is to complain about everything. Uh, hopefully they can take it, you I've know, to the next step.
2: gift, it's called being a stick in the mud. Stick in the mud. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, it's our job to to complain every week yeah. about the world. I guess our futurians can show us up by yeah. trying to solve some of these Profound, problems.
0: Profound more abundance.
1: Well, I can tell you one thing to do. Here's here's
0: it, uh, another thing, and in, in, um. January 27th and 28th, we're having a peacemaking conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go on to the training portion of the webpage at peacecatalyst.net and then look for the peacemaking seminar in Louisville, you know, it's a couple of clicks, you got to get into it. But register for that, come spend a Friday night and Saturday listening to Rick, listening to this. ideology of of how to posture ourselves in a way that that will make a difference
1: now would these people possibly have a chance to meet you or will you only be surrounded by well-heeled interest and multi-contributors surrounding you
0: uh yeah i will be there rick love will will be there uh you know we're trying we're trying to get people we're trying to work at a grassroots level. It would be great to have you know mega churches get behind this and and the you know u s government to well i don't know if it'd be great to have them get behind it or not yeah. but, no that'd probably be but, bad <laughs> but you know it it would be great to have the power brokers behind it, but in truth, this is going to happen from a grassroots level and well we, i I
1: meant that tongue firmly planted in cheek Martin because you, you, first of all, you're not the kind of guy to hang around the great powerful, and second, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with peace, because that's why they don't say there's such a thing as peace profiteers. Yeah. You're, you're not going to have the wealthy well-to-do largely unless God does work on their heart around this, because war is very profitable, and the only way peace is going to happen is if it happens from the common folk in grassroots. Yeah. And there's not money to be made there, but if people's hearts are moved. The Lord can provide the power and the way to make things happen. Do, do, you, do you think there's a remote chance that uh, that a Mr. Hyde might make his way to that meeting there in Louisville?
0: You know, I'm going to give him a personal invitation, um, and uh, it it would be really good to see uh Tom Bionic and Doctor Future there too.
1: Might happen. There's a might. Ed, what are those
0: dates again? It's January 27th and 28th. It's a Friday night and Saturday. A Friday night from seven to nine. And Saturday from about 9 to eh, 4, 4-ish. I'll um, probably make Saturday. Well,
1: we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to decide. We've got to come up with a collective opinion about war versus peace and where we stand on that. Oh. Uh, I tend to lean toward the peace side, but
2: I'll have to talk with Tom about this. Uh, on this I want to see blood. Well, but, Brent, I want to uh, see blood and guts Brent. and veins in my teeth. <laughs> we, we, we've,
1: we've, we've got tons of Futurians. Um, within a driving radius of the Louisville area, yeah. and it would be great to meet them. I know they 'd like to meet uh mr Hyde, who 's sort of the rasputin of our show yeah and uh in Completely yourself <laughs> and uh, in, and others so that would be an interesting thing to do. I can tell you one other thing if you want to make some of your fellow uh conservative Christians like where I come from, if you want to make them uncomfortable when you 're having prayer time, just pray that the Lord would please send more Muslims to America. please Lord Lord send them and you can do it with complete sincerity because you know we have complained for so many years that we cannot send missionaries like we would like or or people to share their faith in Muslim lands because they're in danger and the governments won't let them and so God does a work through their own persecution or whatever they come here and then we complain because they come here to the safety of the United States so you know The the Lord can't find a way to make us happy and still get us to do our job. Mm -hmm. So I just pray that the Lord would continue to send more and that he would speak to more hearts and bless your ministry and people like you to where more people can have the light bulb come on in their head and realize the joys of loving people, the joys of serving the Prince of Peace, and just simply one-on-one enjoying people where they're at Mm. and getting to talk about Jesus.
0: Mm. Well the kingdom's a a lot better, the gospel is a lot better than than I ever thought. And uh, I'm just happy to be uh be a part of what God's doing. A really sense of groundswell of uh, of people re-questioning uh you know have we been mm-hmm. on the right path right. Uh, or not. And uh, peace catalyst wants to help people process some of those questions and uh get engaged in productive ways. Give us that website one more time, please. Uh Peace Uh-Catalyst dot oh, net.
1: Dot net. We'll have that. Uh where our show is archived at futureclay.com. dot com. We'll have that link. And uh uh we hope that all of you have really enjoyed this discussion uh, it probably been a little haphazard by my direction because there's so many areas that I would like to ask you about, Brother Martin, that you've personally experienced, ways I've been blessed by your newsletters. And, and I guess I, I should conclude by asking, is there any other way that our listeners can find out more about what you directly are doing and what you have underway?
0: Uh, well, I, I'm invested in in peace and, and peace catalyst uh, right okay. now. Uh, you know if you go to the about uh section of of that web page uh yeah. it there's a little piece in there of, about me um, yeah. and i guess just uh, follow peace catalyst uh and and the initiatives there i'm i'm pretty i'm convinced that uh it it's a good path okay. you, know, you can you can friend sure. you can friend them on facebook you can you know I don't know. Uh, follow, you know, just follow what's going on there and look for opportunities to get involved. So so you don't have your own particular newsletter right now. It's just coming
1: through the general Peace Catalyst. Uh yeah, direction. that's true. Okay. That's true. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, again, there's so much more I yeah, want to ask good. you. It's refreshing. And I just want to tell our listeners, you know, who've not experienced you before that you have had a tremendous positive influence on my life over the last few years. Uh, I have shed a lot of tears down my face reading your newsletters, and have motivated me to have a lot of the topics that we've had on our show. Most of these you've been overseas and weren't practically available, um, and for other reasons it wasn't really the best time. But it's had an enormous impact on what I consider some of the some of the best things that I've been able to do as far as just getting the word and passing it on to people. We're stimulated by just simply learning. The day to day kind of things that you experienced in the field, what you, the information you passed on and the simple lessons about God's love mm. that you learned from day to day practice. Mm. And, um, I just want our listeners to know that what a special blessing you've been in my life well, and you. that what you have learned is real and it's truthful and it, and it stands under critique. It holds water and, um, I would highly recommend they continue to follow your ministry through Peace Catalyst wherever else uh, the Lord has has you to be and to learn from you uh, well, God, as you continue to learn from the Lord.
0: Yeah, God God's been very good to us. He He has taught us a lot, and I have this sense that I have a lot more to learn too. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm uh, slow in answering the the questions. You know, cause I'm I'm still thinking about this and how do How do we more accurately reflect the glory of God uh, and the love of Jesus to to the people around us? so' still learning and uh appreciate your helping get the word out about uh, peace catalyst and it's been uh, been great to be able to share with uh, your audience. I hope I didn't get you in trouble. so. Oh.
1: Heavens! If you look at the seven years of people we've had on our show, yeah, we're, we're, we're about doing, as
3: light as they come. We're bro. doing we're oh, doing okay. good
1: on
2: yeah. this one here, yeah. yeah.
3: It,
0: well, did uh, did uh Tom Bionic just call me a, a lightweight?
2: No, I just said it's about as light as they come <laughs> <Yeah>. compared <laughs> right. compared to some of the other stuff. You, you're, you're not a
1: lightweight. No, usually no, he okay. leaves the insults for me. Okay, in all particular, right, all right. usually he saves that for. Him. He's actually relatively kind to the guests for the most all part, right. but. Uh, Brother Martin, I want to thank you so much. Uh, you're always welcome back. We we hope to keep in contact with you and just keep
0: contending for the faith in a loving way. Well, thank you. January 27th and 28th, I would love to see uh, you and your listeners there. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thank you
1: so much for joining us. All right. Bye-bye. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom, man of action, bionic.
1: Well, do you think you can put some of what we talked about in action?
2: Yeah, it was, it was interesting. That's time
1: you start loving people, Tom. That's yeah. what I've said all along. I about you. them. Yeah,
2: it was an interesting, there was, there was something else that kept coming to my mind while listening to him, and I'm not sure if that was maybe the Holy Spirit sort of put somebody on my mind or not. Really? Yeah. Okay.
1: A specific. Yeah. Means of direction. Well, yeah. good. Good. Maybe. Um,
2: I kind of want to club him in the head, to be honest. You know. Like a baby seal or a dodo bird or something. Yeah, that's not, that's not loving, I don't think. The clubbing. Um,
1: he's a very humble person and there was a lot of things that, um, brother Martin didn't talk about, Mm -hmm. but, um, this is a guy who's out there, like, putting up mud hut churches and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, bringing Bibles in, uh, going out on the edge and then in the, in the Muslim community, um, being, you know, a lone person of our kind of background mm-hmm. and just going in and rather going in and kicking doors in and telling everybody what's wrong. He goes over in another culture and another religious tradition to be loving, to be respectful, to learn, to listen, mm-hmm. to make relationships mm-hmm. uh and to see what the Lord did in their midst and in a very humble way. And it works. Mm-hmm. And there's been fruit born of it. And totally makes, by his lifestyle, makes a total mockery of this stuff we hear in the church here. Most of our Christian leaders, they get paid big bucks by these mysterious organizations that fund them. And they get up all this stuff going against Muslims. Most of them hardly have ever even met a Muslim in their life, if any. Yeah. Much less tried to have a constructive, you know, discussion or relationship or things like that. Well the but the, they get
2: all the influence of the churches. Yeah, the other side to that though is, you know, you start pulling a lot of these successful people if they really believe in the resurrection. No. <laughs> oh. So what what have they done essentially they've sold their souls for yeah. you know, they've they've known the truth and they've turned turned yeah. away from it and they've sold their souls and yeah. they can be popular in causing wars, but that's about it. Yeah.
1: I so wish we turned to peace because if we don't, then this is even this year could be a really really rough year. Yeah, and uh, we will start getting the the mythical blowback mm-hmm. of, and I'm talking about in the church. Yeah, for what's going it's going. already
2: happening yeah. a lot, man. Yeah. You know? uh,
1: can I make a quick announcement before sure. we say goodbye? I want to tell you you know we had sort of a black we closed with a blockbuster announcement last week. Mm-hmm. Well, this one we have one's not quite that big, but it's still neat. We now officially, after being telling people for the last month or so, we now
2: have an official Future Quake store. Yeah. For Future Quake memorabilia. And it's not just. It's Did you go? Just, or have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. You told me about it today. I mean. Oh you know. man, I have been
1: burning the midnight oil for about a week. I know. Getting it together. Let me tell you what's there. There are there are. Over 30 specific designs, specific designs of shirts that are available. And of each of those 30 designs, you can either get them in dark color, light color, and you can get them either as a short, long sleeve t shirt, a sweatshirt, hoodie, and even other options.
2: Wow. Plus, hundreds of shirts available. Hundreds of shirts,
1: whatever variety suits you. There are six different bumper sticker designs. Mm. There are six different uh, mug designs. Is
2: is Tom Bionic says it? I believe it. That's, That's it. one still got to go out there. We yeah. still got to
1: put that one up there. But uh, there's even the uh, Pyro had commissioned a, uh, a a pet sweater with Future Quake, uh, and we have Pretty the ridiculous. great big Future Quake mural poster. Uh-huh. You can get in any size up, even up to twenty four by thirty six there. But the thing for people to know, go to the front of futurequake.com, the upper left-hand corner. You will see a few pictures of a couple of the items. And then there's a link there. Just click on one of those pictures or below where it says click here. It will go to a, a website, zazzle.com, and it will go to the Futurequake store. Mm-hmm. And then you can get whatever. But a few things to let you know. Each of the shirt designs that you see, when you go there, you can get it in whatever kind of shirt you want as well as size. Mm-hmm. So don't think, well, oh, I found a short sleeve shirt, but I really wanted a sweatshirt. If you go there, if you like that design, click on it, and you can get the sweatshirt there. Or same thing with the mugs. I had one um, future quake that's a ceramic stein, you know, the classic thing. You can go get that as a regular coffee cup, too, if you go there. Similarly, the other designs for the regular coffee mugs on there, you go there. If you wanted a stein or a travel cup instead, like a metal travel cup, Mm -hmm. you can get them there. So you, you've you got all the different varieties that that design can go on at each one of those. So you got a ton of them. One thing I wanted to tell our listeners is that um, it's a little bit steeper price than what I'd hoped, or a good bit steeper price, but it really wouldn't have any other choice because um, of the people who gave feedback, it was only a limited number of people, and they were, their choices were all over the map in terms of sizes of shirts, in terms of which kind they wanted, all this stuff. And it turned out we couldn't make any bulk purchase, so, even if you were going to put the money ahead of time. You couldn't buy X number of this shirt so or that So you just went, or
2: we're just going to make 180 different T-shirts. Well, but but with this choice, it doesn't matter. Everybody yeah. can get exactly what they want. They're, they're made on demand. You,
1: anything you want. It's a few dollars more than what I'd want, and I can tell you... That of those, those products, all the products there, that Future Quake will get no more than one to three dollars. Most of the things about two dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that will go into a pot that'll help us keep FutureQuake.com going and keep the shows available and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's just a couple of bucks, uh, on top of that. So we're, we're paying a little premium for people to get what they want, exactly the one and the size they want, mm-hmm. uh, and get something you really like. And and hopefully it's not just a keepsake for everybody for the show, but also when they see the intriguing images and they see the website, the people that look at your shirt or cup or whatever you have will go to the website and it will spread the word. Because I think these shows still have the power to um, impact people, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, and we might, uh,
2: we're, you know, the, the, the archive's not going anywhere, right?
1: That's not the plan, and this this will help. Keep it funded. Yeah. Uh, to do that. And I want to thank some people who helped make this out. I want to thank, uh, Futurian Von, Von Klitschka. Von Klitschka! There was a couple pieces of art that I was having some trouble with. I tried to do everything I could in house, but there were a couple pieces where, where he came through. And also, he was the one that gave me the tip on the Zazzle site that I don't know if we could have done anything if we hadn't picked that option. So, Mm -hmm. I want to thank him publicly for that. I also want to thank Futurian Terry. Who actually did a, uh, the really sort of complicated, uh, Future Quake emblem with all the little different symbols of the shows that we have. Yeah, it's that an was amazing, cool. it's an amazing logo. Some people actually got it when they ordered their books earlier. We had some stickers that Futurian Bob made, and some people got those in their books that they ordered, and mm-hmm. they know what, know what they're getting. You could look, go to our FutureQuake.com, you can see it, then you go to the Zazzle site, you can see close up. Uh, I also want to thank Futurian Joshua. Because he's the one that did the caricature of you and me, the, sort of the cartoon yeah, comic, yeah, book comic book. Like comic book, like a front of a comic Doc book, yeah. and Tom, which is sort of a funny looking kind of thing. Yeah. And I want to thank him. And I also want to thank Futurian Bob because he helped me with, with sort of getting familiar with the graphics software and mm-hmm. how to do changes and how to do some other kind of stuff. And uh, he was the one also who made those stickers earlier that went out in some of the books that went out. So it, it was a team affair and all those guys did it. But I'm a little cross eyed now because I've spent like the last. 60 hours straight trying to get all those items uploaded in there. And hopefully they look right. Uh, I'm just hopefully late tonight going to place an order. I'm mm-hmm. placing an order for a large number of these different things, of sampling. Wow. There was two of them that were late getting into the thing, and as of our show time tonight, uh, they weren't loaded in the store. But I'm going to try to get it. Vaughn told us, told me that probably anywhere between four to eight days is typical for them unless there's something out of the way happening. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'll have them in my possession by the time we record next Tuesday. If so, I'll tell everybody about the quality and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just trying to find out to see how they really look. Um, Vaughn didn't say you'd have any problem with it, but I just wanted to let our Futurians know. But, hey, if you want the stuff quick, it's up there. It's available right now. You can go, go get, get it right it. now. Um, but, anyway, uh, somebody else uh, who we can get is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Quick.
0: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay,
2: that's it. Hard to get a t-shirt on that guy. It really is. Yeah. Particularly just that head floating
1: yeah. around. You know. Doesn't make any sense. You can see the Murph head right there on the mural materials. You can get it on a shirt, you can get it on a poster, even a cup. Yep. And look just like the mobile. Yep. You know? There you have it. You got any last words? I'm out of here. Anything we need to be praying about with you? Oh, there's a million things, but world? I'm not
2: going to burden anybody with it. Oh,
1: burden us. Sort of, Anything you want to burden us
2: with? No, just sort of pray in general for Tom Bionic, you know. Okay.
1: We do that when we have those secret prayer meetings, we're so we're all bored. the Futurians over yeah. here when you're not here. Yeah. No, seriously, we do. We love you, bro.
2: Sweet, man. And Thanks. I love you all, too.
1: Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us this week. Come back next week and we're going to get back to you and I going through some news. It's been, Sweet. we've had so many
2: interviews in a row, we've had a bunch of news pile up. That's crazy, man. And, uh, this year keeps getting weirder and weirder. So, do we'll you know need... that, do you know that, uh, uh, 31% of all airplanes in the Air Force are drones? No, I did
1: not know <laughs> that statistic. That's Thanks for crazy. sharing that with us yeah. in closing. Yeah. Well, um, Love being with y'all, brothers and sisters. Uh, Y'all take care. Have a good week. And we'll see you next week. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.